Oh, hi, everybody. What's going on? Huh? Uh, JoeRogan.net forward slash tour for all your stand-up comedy needs. May 12th, I'm at the Verizon Wireless Center in Grand Prairie, just outside of Dallas, Texas. And that's with Tony Hinchcliffe and Ian Edwards. Tickets going fast. Don't fuck around. That's a huge place, too. It's like 6,000 people. Then, uh, next big one, July 7th, Cot Theater at the MGM. Again, uh, I'm announcing, it's like they want to call it a tour. And it's kind of a tour, because I'm doing a lot of dates, and we're going to announce them all at once, but it's basically just me doing stand-up. JoeRogan.net forward slash tour. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Mott and Bo. M-O-T-T-N-Bow.com. Mott and Bow is a company that makes jeans. They make ridiculously comfortable jeans. Now, before I took this company on as a sponsor, I had them send me their jeans and wear. I, I'm not ever going to sell anything to you guys or promote anything that I wouldn't wear. I wear these jeans. I've worn nothing but these jeans since I got them. They're fucking great. They're really comfortable, and they've got stretch to them. I think there's like 2% elastic material in their jeans or something like that, but it's a really high-quality jean. They're really good-looking, and they're super comfortable, and you can move in them. See, what they're doing now with jeans, they're so clever. They're adding this elastic material to the jeans, so it looks like normal jeans, but they don't, they're not like restrictive. You can move in them. They're flexible. They also have like this free try-on program. It's a unique and simple program that allows you to order an extra waist size for free to try on at home and then just return the jeans you don't want with the prepaid, pre-printed shipping label that's in every box. It makes finding your perfect waist size extremely easy. And it's a great value for the money with no markups. Like traditional retailers, traditional retailers have a big markup. Um at least half the price of other designer jeans of the same quality, usually about 100 bucks, is markup. That's ridiculous, right? They offer three classic fits, straight, slim, and skinny. And you can always find the fit that you want. Simple and stylish, classic, clean-style jeans that can easily be dressed up or down. And Mott and Bo is started by a guy who grew up working in his family-owned denim factory, so he understands the industry and how to ensure the highest quality while cutting excess costs. I really like these jeans. and I, Again, I wear them all the time. I got them about a week and a half, two weeks ago, and I've seriously worn nothing but them since. All the shows that I've done, I've worn these jeans. They're fucking great. And it's like it's they don't seem like stretchy jeans they seem like a really high quality jean and for 20 percent off your first purchase visit com. that's m-o-t-t-a-n-d-b-o-w.com and enter the promo code rogan at checkout so com. enter the promo code rogan for 20 percent off your first purchase Ooh-wee! We're also brought to you by 1-800-Flowers. Mother's Day is coming, folks. You gotta get your mom flowers. You don't have to, but you probably should. And there's no better feeling than making your mom happy. Whether it's on the sports field with your maker proud in the classroom, or conquering some other achievement. This is their words. Can you tell? Can you tell the difference? I'm a big fan of flowers. They look pretty, they smell good, and chicks dig them. And your mom's going to love them, folks. You can make your mom smile 
with 1-800-Flowers.com. Right now, 1-800-Flowers.com is giving listeners of this podcast an exclusive 24 for 24 offer. 24 multicolored roses for 24 bucks. That's only a dollar per rose. That is a very good deal. Simply pick your delivery date and let 1-800-Flowers handle the rest with a bright and beautiful mix of premium roses in a rainbow of colors. Ooh, these blooms are guaranteed to show mom just how much she's loved or show mom that you made a fucking phone call. Jesus, went online. Uh, these breathtaking roses from 1-800-Flowers are picked at their peak and shipped overnight to ensure freshness and mom's amazement. 24 multicolored roses for only $24. It's a very good offer, but it expires on Friday. Every bouquet is backed by 1-800-Flowers, 100% smile guarantee. So whether you're surprising your wife, your aunt, your sister, your mom, don't settle for anything less than 1-800-Flowers.com. To order 24 stunning multicolored roses for only $24, go to 1-800-Flowers.com, click on the radio icon, and enter the code word J-R-E. That's 1-800-Flowers.com, enter the code J-R-E. Hurry! Offer ends Friday. Friday, you fucks. Don't be sleeping on mom. We're also brought to you every episode by Onnit.com. Onnit is a total human optimization company. We have worked long and hard to put together a collection of all the stuff you need to get your shit together. Whether it is in the form of our strength and conditioning equipment, we have a full line of kettlebells, uh, both regular kettlebells with that you know are functional and look cool and are shaped well, and our artistic kettlebells. We have three different styles of them. We have primal bells, legend bells, and zombie bells. All these kettlebells are they're just as functional as the uh, regular kettlebells, but they're actually works of art. They're 3D balanced so that uh, you can swing them. They swing perfect like a regular kettlebell, but... The primal bells are all the great apes. We have howler monkeys, chimpanzees, gorillas, orangutans, and uh, Bigfoot for the big 90-pounder if you're a fucking stud like me. We also have legend bells, uh, which are monsters. We have a werewolf. We have a harpy and a cyclops. Um, And we have zombie bells, which uh, people are super into if you're into Game of Thrones or uh, not Game of Thrones, Walking Dead. Yeah, if you want to fight zombies, if you want to prepare for the zombie apocalypse. We also have a new Iron Man kettlebell. Um, we've we got a deal that we're doing now with um, Marvel Comics. So we have an Iron Man kettlebell, and uh, we also have a Captain America shield barbell plate. Whoa, for real? Yes, 35 pounds and 45 pounds. God damn it, I can't believe it's real. It is real. We even offer them in a, in a set, a complete set, 210. 10 pounds with barbell. Yeah, baby. You could fucking get jacked and feel like Captain America. This podcast ad is going on a little too long. So go to onnit.com, click on the Academy link, and uh, you'll be taken to a section of the site that has hundreds of articles with all awesome shit. Uh, all sorts of uh, group. That was a fucking great thing. Three days with Brendan Schaub. Yay. 
my pal Brendan. There's a Q&A with Cub Swanson. All sorts of great articles on exercise, on diet, on um, different workouts. There's actually an Onnit Academy in Austin, Texas that has Bang Muay Thai, 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu, and um, amazing state-of-the-art strength and conditioning equipment. Onnit.com. Use the code word ROGAN and you'll save 10% off any and all supplements. My guest today is Shirley Manson, the lead singer of Garbage. I was a huge fan of hers uh, way back in the 90s, from way back in the 90s. And uh, I didn't know, like, what is she going to be like? Like, I, I really didn't know too much about her as a person. I just like, liked her music. But she was fucking awesome. Really enjoyed talking to her. She's hilarious. She's smart. She's cool as fuck. Very cool. I, I really enjoyed it. It blew me away. So, without any further ado, give it up for Shirley Manson. Joe Rogan Podcast. Check it out. The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day. Joe Rogan Podcast by night. All day. Kapow, and we're live, Shirley. How are you? I'm feeling alive. You look alive. Thanks, so do you. Does anybody ever ask you, are you really only happy when it rains? All the time. Is that annoying? Yeah. I would imagine so. Yeah. I shouldn't have done it. <laughs> I couldn't have helped myself. It was a little beneath you, Joe, but that's okay. I'll it forgive you. It was a little. Was. Yeah. I panicked. I didn't know how to start. <laughs> I never do. Well, at least you didn't ask me, are you really related? Are you really, you know, the sister of Marilyn Manson is another one, too. Oh, is that one that comes up? That comes up a lot. Yeah, that guy's a freak. Have you ever <laughs> met him? I love him. He's an odd dude. He's... You think? Oh. I was kind of shocked by how normal he is. Oh, he's very smart. Very nice. He's really smart and really, I thought, really forthright. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I appreciated him. I loved him, actually. I was was crazy about him. Well, doesn't that in and of itself make him a freak? Yeah, I guess so. In this world? I guess so. And we, we were just talking out there about how many people are pilled up. That this world, <laughs> well, we were also talking about people who can't tell the truth. That's yeah. maybe even more weird. Yeah, we were talking about transracial people. You know the one, folks. We don't have to say her name. You know that chick. That poor, poor That lady. one who thinks she's... And then, then that dude who also did it. There's a lot of weird people out there. Yeah. But uh, also Jamie. Jamie lies about being an Indian, apparently. Yeah, not, a <laughs> not a lie. It's not a lie. A Native it's American, inside, right? Inside joke. Yeah, that's that funny thing. You can't... Indian is actually kind of offensive to some people now. Yeah. Where it was like standard for a long time. Well, I'm ashamed to say when I first came to America 20 years ago... I always, because it was the way we were brought up, to, we referred to Native Americans as Red Indians. And oh, every wow. time I would say Red Indian, everybody in me, my band would be going, you can't say that. You've got to stop that. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, God, I'm so sorry. But, you know, I was 30 years in or whatever. I was so used to saying it. And oh, is that a Scotland thing? You say Scottish red, thing, yeah. You say Red Indian? We used to say Red Indian. That has now been completely changed. But back then, 20-odd years ago, yeah, we, we always refer to Native Americans as Red Indian. Yeah, this, I mean, you can't say red people, but you can say white people. You can definitely say black people, but you can't say yellow people. Yeah, it's complicated. It's the super complicated. The rules are complicated. I get it. It's, you know. If you didn't know, it would be super, like if you were just learning this language, like if you came from China you'd or something like that. You'd be very confused. You'd be baffled. Yes. Yeah. I, I spend my life baffled, though. That's okay. I've just gone, I just go with it now. So Good for okay you. It's okay to be baffled. Good for you. <laughs> That is a good way to approach it. Yeah, I mean, well, it's made me happier, I'll tell you that. It's definitely happier than trying to control everything. And yeah. A lot of people that go down that rabbit hole, that's not a good rabbit hole to go down. No, but I think controlling things, are it's fear-driven, right? Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. A I lot of it. I think I'm too old to be 
fearful, I think. Really? A wee bit, yeah. Yeah? But you're like a... See, there's a certain thing that happens to people in show business when they get to a certain age. Either they uh, feel like uh, it's slipping away or they feel comfortable. You seem like a comfortable person. Yeah, I'm a comfortable person. Well, kind of. Kind of? Yeah. What's uncomfortable? I'm uncomfortable about a lot of things. <laughs> Let's get into it. <laughs> you got there already, Joe. Yeah, that's impressive. Uh, you're fast. I lower your guard by giving you something really beneath me first. And oh, then, I see. And then, and then, then you come in. in like and just yeah, you don't even know quick it's coming. blow to the left yeah. side of the head. <laughs> um, no, I'm uncomfortable about a lot of things, but I hear what you're saying. And yeah, I feel like maybe if you feel like you've failed and then you've stepped back up, then you start you 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 either crumble. And you can't build your life back up, or mm. you you find a, a place to stand and you build your career again on your own terms, and then it is comfortable. Is that what you're saying? Like that's what that's I'm how saying. You, where you're at? That's what I'm saying. But you never failed. I felt I did. You know? Really? How? Yeah. Well, you know, we have we in the '90s were so much a sort of pop cultural zeitgeist, I guess. Right. You know, and that can't last forever. But when it stops. I, I should speak for myself when it stopped I was it was dizzying for me I didn't really know what to do with myself I didn't really understand my identity you know what I mean I didn't know who I was because it was such a ride because it was such a crazy ride and I, I I identified with myself as a successful person and my idea of success was, was really warped you know oh so your idea of success was commercial success correct mm. yeah did you take any comfort in the artistic success I did eventually, but at the time I felt like we were being creatively adventurous and we were getting punished for it and it made me really angry. Oh, so you feel like, were you getting published? <laughs> I mean, was it the publishers, the, the music publishers that were punishing you? Like, what was? No, it wasn't even that personal, although I took it personally. It was really much more a cultural shift, you know? Right. So it just that wasn't received as well. Correct. You are correct, sir. Mm. Yeah. And so we'd been used to being on top of the charts, you know? And then when that stops, all of a sudden you're like, well, is everything we're doing, all our ideas, rubbish? Ooh, and right. then, but deep down, you know they're not. But you're being rejected anyway. And so you have to find a way through that. And that's complicated, I think. Or it was complicated for a simple girl like me. Yeah, well, I would imagine any time you were as big as Garbage was in the 90s, I mean, you guys were gigantic. I mean, it was hard to go into a clothing store without hearing your music blaring. Yeah, yeah. You know? it, it was, was mad. <laughs> it was it really was mad, yeah. I'm a huge fan. I love you guys. Oh, thank you. So it's kind of weird sitting across from you. But <laughs> it's we'll quite get past nice, though, that. isn't it? It is. It is nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm enjoying myself. Uh, you seem to be. Yeah. But like, <laughs> I would imagine that like as big as you guys were, the, you either stay that big and then you become a crazy person. You're probably better yeah. off like doing what you did, like like taking our artistic chances, settling in, and then doing what you're doing now, being more comfortable. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, we were lucky we had a manager, a very wise manager at Key Prime Management at the time, who said, what do you want? Do you want a long career at a lower level or do you want a short career at a ridiculously high level? Mm. And we were like, we want the long career. And, you know, that's exactly what we got in the end. But um, there was this mad blip that happened for alternative music, which had, had never gotten really that much pop cultural success I guess we were like we enjoyed this weird rush of alternative music that for for a blip 
ruled the charts. If you weren't an alt band, you were a nothing band. Yeah, you guys caught that wave, that post-Nirvana wave. Yeah. Yeah, That's really what it was, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I would love to talk to Chris Cornell. Like, remember when Chris Cornell did those pop music songs? Like, he went from Soundgarden, this, like, deep, crazy, dark band, to... Yeah, that's true. Like, weird, poppy music. Yes, yeah, so, so, sort of softer, and... I'm sure he was just trying to figure out a way to survive, like we all do, you yeah. know? And, and it's complicated. For anybody with a career, yourself included, you know, you have to, like, adapt and figure out, well, okay, where do I step to now? Yeah. It's weird. Well, I think, ultimately, what you got to figure out is, what do you like? Yeah. But do, it's hard to know yeah. what you like sometimes, no? Sure, because if you don't like something but it's super successful for exactly. you, then you might keep doing that. That's very confusing. Yeah, yeah. Shirley. My goodness, we're God getting George. deep here. We're, yeah. we're going deep. Maybe you're my future husband. No, oh, I'm married. <laughs> my wife's coming oh, over here soon, too. <laughs> keep that on the DL. I'm sure my husband will be listening and laughing his ass off. Yeah, your, your husband is named Billy Bush. He is. It's a different Billy Bush, not yes. the grab-the-pussy Billy Bush. Correct. But he, he really suffered I'm during sure. that. that time he got like an, a hailstorm of abuse via Twitter. I mean, we found it funny, but it was also quite alarming because we were like, oh my God, I hope somebody isn't coming punish you. Well, what's crazy is that guy, the re- the real grab the pussy Billy Bush, didn't really do anything. He was no, just God there. Bl- yeah, he, he kind of was a scapegoat in the end. God yeah. bless him. I mean, I think he was just trying to be conciliatory as, yes. a, as a TV host, you know, and he got, yeah, he got, he lost his job, no? Yes. Yeah. And he was sitting next to, you know, this gigantic tycoon billionaire character, this flamboyant, boisterous sort of a guy who was going on his usual flamboyant, boisterous tirades. He probably felt like it was funny. You know, yeah, to I, I think to this he guy. probably did, to be yeah. fair. But, yeah, boy, did he have to pay the price. <laughs> <laughs> and, and my husband, too, by default. But it's funny that, you know, your husband would get hate from it or that that guy would get hate from it. People seem to be, like, looking for people to get mad at. Well, I think we're all mad, right? That the the world is currently angry, and we don't really know why. But we get fed a lot of negative information, and I don't know if the human brain knows how to cope with it. So it's very early on in the sort of technological revolution, so to speak. And I don't think our brains have quite caught up with how much bad news we're absorbing on a daily basis. And so I think, yeah, I think people are angry and upset, and they don't know what to do with it. And and there's certain figures that attract that you know uh, that kind of rage or wrath and they people use these people as hot rods for their yeah. own i don't know chaos in their brains yeah no i think you just nailed it i think that's absolutely it we've been talking about it a bunch lately that there's just too many people there's seven billion people and to get all the information especially the bad information from seven billion people it's unmanageable it's intense yeah i mean yeah, well said. It's just crazy. You flick through Twitter, you flick through Instagram or look on Facebook. Every single thing from every corner of the globe is it, you're hearing bad news. You know, That's all you, you want to hear. Because, like, if you – well, the good news is not news. No. You know, it's like everybody got along great today. Yeah. That's Doesn't not a story. Like news. Yeah. Can't sell that. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's going to be really curious as to see where the human race goes and how we do manage with all this information. Because even if you stand up for a cause, like you know, like today I was, I, I did a post about um, for Amnesty International, who's standing up for the Turkish journalists, you mm-hmm. know, who are who are all imprisoned for just doing their jobs. And so you stand up for that cause because I feel very strongly in a free press, and you you just become in, 
inundated with people saying, well, what about Venezuela? And they have their legitimate concerns about what's going on in their country. What right. about the women in Argentina, you know, and so on and so forth, and Brazil and Mexico and... Uh, it's just I just don't even know what to do with all the information. Anymore. Yeah, that is a part of the problem, too, is that people expect you to comment on every single thing. And if you comment on one thing, especially if you comment on one funny, silly thing, they'll say, well, what about this? Yes. How can we not talk about this terrible thing that's happening? I know. It's, it's almost hard. like you, you have a responsibility to alert people of your state of consciousness at every step of the day. Every second of the day. I could I could definitely do that. Could you? <laughs> <laughs> no, not even I could do that. Just with emojis. Yeah, just That's, with emojis. I feel like emojis <laughs> are the future. I've been thinking a lot about this. I think emojis, I mean, who is this? I think, was it Eddie Bravo that compared him to hieroglyphs? You. It was Jamie. It was Jamie. Oh, yeah, Jamie, Jamie. Jamie was saying, I like it. we were talking about it, that like they are a lot like hieroglyphs. Like if you, if you send someone, like I, one of the reasons why I thought it was Eddie is because Eddie always sends me like a series of emojis like in a row. You know, and it's fun. He's just being funny. Like he'll send me a clown and a thumbs up and a black fist. The you know, clown like, and the aubergine are my two favorites. <laughs> the aubergine? The aubergine. What's you an call aubergine? It, uh, an eggplant. Oh. I, call, I call it an aubergine. Did you know what it is? I know what you mean now, but... Uh, an eggplant. <laughs> Why is an eggplant the favorite one? I just like it. It looks rude and funny. See, I'm, I'm Italian, so I feel like it's racist. <laughs> oh, wow. I see eggplants. Oh, of course. I feel like it's... Uh, Direct uh, your wrath on me. I'm so sorry. But uh, I feel like uh, there's, it's like a, a racist term for black people. Okay, no. now you're just being ridiculous. No, no, it is amongst, amongst Italians. It really is. What is? Yeah. An a, eggplant. Eggplants, yeah. Why? What is the word? What's that word, that Italian word that they use? There's a see if you can Google it. Racist Italian word for eggplant used. It's like it's a common thing on like the East Coast. What is? Th- I don't get the race thing. I swear to God, it's it? a mystifying. Uh, there's a couple choices, I guess. Yeah, there's a word that they would always use. Moulignan, yeah. Moulignan is an Italian derogatory slang term for a black person, and it's derived from uh, the word eggplant. The word uh, melanzan. Which is a, well, a term, which is a term for eggplant. <clears throat> well, yeah, you've see? crushed my spirits right I'm there so and sorry. then. I, I made it impossible for you to use eggplant. Well, now then I'm just going to have to go back to the lipstick emoji. Just that'll do. So we've killed red Indian and we've killed eggplant. We have on one podcast. Yeah. Good. Yeah, Indian was a thing that like you could say all the time when I was a kid. But now, if it even accidentally like slips out of my mouth, like you don't say cowboys and Indians anymore. You're supposed to say like cowboys and Native Americans. It doesn't roll off the tongue as quickly. But we can break our habits, can't we? We can, surely. Because we're evolved. We are. We're trying. And we're disciplined. I know you're disciplined. I'm trying. You're we definitely work at disciplined. It. How do you know? Because I've read some stories about how you pulled yourself together over time. And <laughs> that's, that, takes, that takes discipline. And I don't know. I think it takes a lot of balls, actually. Hmm. I'll That's a compliment. That you can you. just say, Appreciate thank it. you, Miss Manson. Well, you guys say bollocks, though, don't you? Do you just say it in a positive way, that it takes a lot of bollocks? It takes a lot of bollocks, yeah. Do you say that? Would you say it that way? No, I say balls. Because balls oh. is, I don't know, I like the word balls. Yeah. Something to do with my accent. Bollocks is too hard for me to say. But bollocks is like bullshit, too, right? Oh, well, yeah, that I would use. That's bollocks. Right. I would definitely say that. But that's also balls, right? Correct. But it's used in a slightly different... How could balls be bullshit? I'm so confused. Well, I'm confused too. But like I said, just go with the confusion. It's okay. I'm going with it. Everything's going to be okay. I'm, I'm totally going it's with all it. All right. I'm, I'm flexible. I try to be more flexible as I get older. I Good. work on well, that. Well, it's hard yeah. to remain flexible. Is really a challenge, and I think that's what 
differentiates the sheep from the goats? Mm, what's better, sheep or a goat? To be because flexible. The goat's the greatest of all time. I love the goat, but then I'm partial to a sheep. <laughs> <laughs> I was reading this article uh, yesterday about music, and they were talking about how people get very rigid in their musical tastes. Like what they liked when they were younger, they get to a certain stage in their life, and then they just lock on, and any new music they just sort but of But there's reject. a neurological reason for that, right? Yeah. Yeah. What is it? Do you know? It's something to do with the, the pathways in your brain. I don't know that the first when you first make these insane connections... And it's usually during adolescence, apparently, yeah. where you make these connections with, I suppose, adventure and, you know, independence. I mean, I don't know. I don't know enough about it, but they have done all these studies during studies on the brain on dementia. They've discovered all, all these incredible neurological pathways that are formed by music and how yeah. somebody can't even remember how to, you know, button their shirt, but they can sing every single word and every note perfectly to some opera that they they performed when they were young. I mean, I don't know. It's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. There's there's definitely weird pathways that get established in the brain. And they say that, like, there's something about music, and especially, like, musical pathways, that literally invoke these physiological changes in a person that are unlike anything else. Like, it, like when I was a kid, that Rocky Eye of the Tiger song would come on. <laughs> <laughs> and he would, just want to start, he would just want to start running. <laughs> he would just want to lift weights or just run up a hill or something like that. I mean, it would make your body change. It was like, if that was a drug, if you could take that drug, if you could sniff it, like... <sighs> And like feel how you felt when that song came on, and be like, yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, yes. what else does that? There's nothing else that does that. No, that's true. There is nothing else that does that. I'm currently on this mad obsession with Oliver Sacks. Oh, and uh, I was I'm, I'm reading his biography right now, or autobiography, should I say? And he's talking about some of his like really sick patients who have dementia or there's some other form weird virus that shuts them down completely and they can't even stand really and then if they play a certain piece of music someone who is essentially an unconscious being snaps to stands up and can dance and like recite words even though they've been mute for years i mean really crazy crazy stuff yeah, there's something about that art form about your art form music can heal you joe peter hannigan's mind feel it I felt it. I felt it. Charged my whole body. My hair stood up on end. What hair I have left? That's yeah, there's crazy. something to it. There's a, there's something to it that's like, I mean, and it's also very bizarre because it's something that people have created, right? It's not something that exists in nature. I mean, it's beautiful sounds in nature, like birds chirping and certain animal noises and things that are beautiful. But music is in like the 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 ability to control notes. Right, the ability to create a symphony, the ability to structure a song and put it together with a beautiful voice like yours, like that is something that's entirely created by a human being, like that didn't exist before human beings existed, and it works only on us. You ever play music for a dog? Just fucking stare at you. Don't give a shit. (laughs) I don't think that's true. Music taste. My dog. My dog responds to music. Well, maybe your dog does. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I suppose she's trained that way. Yeah. Well, she probably maybe feels like it's important to you, too. Yeah, no, you know? you're probably right. Like, if you meet, a, like, a shitty person, you know, usually they have a shitty dog, because that dog's getting, There's like, no such thing vibes. as a shitty dog. Really? Only a shitty owner who's taught them shitty manners. Mm, but then the dog becomes shitty. Like, if a dog bites your face off, that's a shitty dog. Okay, fair enough. That's fair dues. <laughs> that's a, although I would argue it's a scared dog, but I'll give you that. I agree. Yeah. I, or a terribly trained dog. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a the product. owner. It's the owner's fault. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Um, but... 
there, there's, there's something that we've done with this that I think is really um, – I think it taps into the human reward system in a way that – What's the human reward system? Like when people enjoy being around certain people – there's a, there's like rewards, there's like social rewards you get from it. Like say like if you have like a right leader, yeah, 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 we're having a fun time, having a fun conversation, a laugh. But like say if like you were in a tribe of people and there was this one leader, or this one uh, you know warrior that saved you from the jaguar, and you would look up to that person like that. That's like a, a hero in a movie, right? Yeah. Like the now when we tap into these ancient reward systems, I think there were ways that human beings could learn and ways that we could share energy with each other. That existed before media, before music, course, before movies yeah. and books. And I think what we've done with media, music and books and, and movies especially, is tap into those human reward systems. I love in this. this. Really You're crazy teaching way. me something right now that I'm really into. Hmm. Uh, no, seriously, I, lo- I love this idea. There is hope for the human race after all. Oh, there's definitely hope. We're awesome. We are People pretty are awesome. Think, yeah, we suck sometimes. Yeah, some, but, there's a few who suck. But it's not even 1%. Is that true? Yeah. I think it's maybe 1%. I think that if you get 300 million people like we have in America, you get about 3 million douchebags. Okay, that's, that's what I fair. Think. That's fair. And then you have also people that are the same victims as your dog that's a bad dog. Yeah. Like you have people that are born and raised by in people. horrible environments and abused yeah. when they're mm-hmm. young. And yeah, I think that's a giant part of the problem, a giant part of what we are. And if we, we just address that, it's one of, one of the main problems that I have with our culture is that we don't address at, really at all the raising of children and the, the doing it from the beginning as yeah. a culture. But we don't address very much that's painful or, uh, or dark or complicated, do we? Not really. I mean, we don't talk about death, which I think is a big mistake because then you rear people to not live their lives fully because they're so scared of dying. They spend their whole lives worrying about getting sick. Yeah, and they don't like to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, my parents, my parents don't like to talk about it. I just think that's so crazy. It's as though if you don't talk about it, it's going to go away somehow. Like, oh, I don't want to deal with it. No, no. Let's not. Let's talk about something else. Let's go get dessert. Yeah, Yeah, it's weird. People just shut off if you mention anything difficult. Mm -hmm. It just shuts down a conversation. Well, that was one of the main problems that a lot of psychologists had with hiding um, caskets, like when they were bringing people back from the war. That they were taking these photographs of the caskets and they wouldn't let them be released. Like it was a big thing during the Bush administration in America. And um, psychologists were saying, do you understand like this is – you are programming people to have a very specific notion of war then because you're not showing them the actual consequences. Sure. I mean in a casket is almost a symbolic consequence because you're only seeing a box and you know that a person, a child's – you know, some parent's child is in that box. Sure. You're not. You're not even seeing the body. Like you're not even saying we should see the body so people can understand what a what a missile does to a person. You're saying like the boxes themselves are forbidden to be shown. And that's crazy. Yeah. Well, it's just it's weird. It's psychological warfare in a lot of ways on the people because it allows people to accept the consequences in some sort of a weird. Almost abstract way. They're not. They're not seeing the consequences. So well, it's so sanitizing everything and yes. not allowing people to grow and, and expand. I guess yeah. it, shrink, it shrinks our minds in a way. The less we see, the less we can think about. The less we're capable of thinking about in a way. It's yeah. really weird. But it goes back to like the idea of of rearing children, and that goes back to education as well. And that we seem to have 
fallen by the wayside there too. Well, I think we have, but uh, um, Let's my go back feeling, to the human reward system. It was much more uplifting. Well, I think it's all connected because I think that what we're doing with technology in the form of music and movies and media and all that thing is just one step in this multifaceted experience that we have of integrating technology. And, and the more the more sophisticated this technology gets, it seems like the closer it brings people and ideas. And I think that... That's I, th- I honestly I mean people think that it's um, I have too much of a utopian view of it but I really feel like that technology is essentially going to balance it all out. I really feel like as much as we want to try to hold back information and we try to hold back education or try to program people, I feel like technology is ultimately going to connect people instantaneously with ideas and that you're well, not going to be doing able- that already yeah. really. Sort of, yeah. But you could you could push it aside. You could yes. shut it off. You could walk away. If you have discipline, you can leave your phone at home and go for a walk in the woods. But I feel like we are just one or two generations away from being a completely different thing than we are now. That's the thing that bums me out about dying. That's the really pretty much the only thing is how much we are going to miss of all the great technological advances. Like how crazy is it going to get? It's going to get crazy. I know, and I'm so sad. I'm going to miss so much. You of might it. not. You might not miss it because you're on the tip right now of the scientific and medical advancements that are going to allow people to live to be 300, 400 years. Oh, God, I hope not. It's very possible. I really, really, really hope that's Why not you, the case. Because you worry about overpopulation? Yeah. yeah. And, and yes, and the calcification of the human mind. I worry that Donald Trump's going to live to be 1,000. Oh, God, we all worry a wee bit about He's got that. a lot of money. Yeah, he sure does. He's pretty healthy for a fat guy, too. I was thinking that the other day. Guys out there why are super he, active. Why is this? Why is he so preoccupied with fast food? It's really peculiar. When you've got all this money, and you're stuffing your face full of the cheapest food you can find. Does he? Apparently, he's got a huge fast food preoccupation. Maybe it's a president thing because Bill Clinton did too. That was a huge issue Bill. with Clinton. Why he was at fast food yeah, as well? Well, oh, he had heart problems though. No. Yeah. Yeah, all cut up with poor Bill. So watch out, Prez. Mm, yeah, you can't eat fatty foods all the time or sloppy. Well, it's real sugary and cheap crap. This Sometimes is non-nutritious. It is, right? Every now and again. It's, Every now it's and again. Spot. Get one of those Wendy's double doubles. What are those <laughs> things? Those double cheeseburgers. They I've never to... had a double cheeseburger in my life. Ever? Ever. Why? I couldn't get my, even I couldn't get my jaws right back. <laughs> You really never had a double cheeseburger? I've never had a double cheeseburger. How long have you been in America? Ooh, 11 years. Uh, no, nonsense. No one's brought you to In-N-Out? years. Yes, of course I go to In-N-Out. So you get a single cheeseburger at In-N-Out? Is that a double? Maybe well, I have you, had you, a double. So you I never have, had a double-double? I've double? got my jaws right that. No, I've never had a double-double. So what do you get? I don't know what I get. I've never ordered it. My husband's always the one that's sort of Wow, your husband's like your assistant. Like, no, get I me wish, what I want. I wish he was. <laughs> Maybe he was for like the first, you know, couple of weeks that we were oh, together. Yeah, when he's trying to when he's really trying hard to work it. <laughs> that has long been left in the dust. I can assure you. Like literally, now I'm like I have to beg. I had a friend of mine before he's, he's married now, but before he's married, uh, he had gone through a series of like really horrendous relationships. And we were sitting around talking once. We were super high, and he goes. Uh, I think what I'm going to do is just have two-week relationships. He goes, because two weeks is like the perfect amount of time. You're Only in love. Only two weeks? Yeah. It's a, you're in love. You want to spend all the time together. It's great. And he goes, and then somewhere around then, they just start expecting things from you, and then they get mad at you. And in goes, two weeks? <laughs> he's just picking the wrong partners, clearly. I, clearly, because he's married now. Yeah, I mean, happy. two years, I think, is like a good honeymoon period. Two years? Really? Yeah. Oh, so things can go ugly in two years. Especially if you're an actor. 
Oof. Oof. I've never dated an actor in my life. Good for you. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I couldn't <laughs> deal with that. Did you? Yeah, actresses, yeah. Not no dudes, but uh, because <laughs> girl, but you say actor, like girls want to be called actors now. Like they, yeah, it's non-gender specific yeah, these days. Fair enough. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. I totally get that. I guess. Yeah, because actress or comedian, that was a big one. Com- yeah. like female comics do not like that. Don't like being called comedians. No, it makes you seem like a cheapened down comic. Like my funny comedian friends that happen to have vaginas are they're, comedians. they're all comedians yeah see that i get that i really do get that and, and, and i respect that the only thing is i love the word actress actress is a pretty word it's a lovely word comedian sounds like a light version of comedian yeah it does comedian it doesn't have the same kind of gravitas yeah. right like low-fat yogurt or something you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> I never thought about it that way. But yeah, I think the more we get rid of gender, actually, the better. You think so? But yeah. isn't it fun to be a girl? It is fun to be a girl, of course. And I think it's fun to be all genders, whoever, however you are. But I think when you're, when you're, you have to be called something, it's like prison. Right. Yeah. I don't think we should be living in prisons. Yeah, but we're not living in prisons, but we clearly are different. Like, especially you of and I. Of course, you and I are very, we're very different. Very different. Yeah, I'd be super confused if you were anything like me. <laughs> I'd be like, I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> yeah, no, but I think all humans, we're all different, mm-hmm. right? I mean, I, I think it's crazy that we get put into these generalized packs. We kind of do, yeah, but. For men too. There's also just a, I mean,. There's a broad spectrum of behavior that is, is on one side of the fence or the other side of the fence, whether it's male or female. But there's definitely a male and female in, in, in most people. And then there's people that are, you know, then it gets real weird. People that are born or in some way don't want to be whatever gender they are. And I think it's kind of cool. I don't think it's that they don't want to be. They just aren't. I think some people just aren't. And some people don't want to be. And I think it's like we were talking about earlier about mm. that Rachel Dolezal woman. I think you who's, and I have to disagree here. Well, this is what I think. I don't okay. think we could ever possibly know the motivation for every single person. You are correct. Who's transgender or transracial or trans anything. Well, gender, though, is not, as you know yourself, under no circumstances do you choose your gender. You don't, you're not that powerful. I don't think most people do but i think some people it's entirely possible that you could be a woman and decide you know what i want to be a fucking man i'm tired of this i don't like it it's it's well within well, the that's realm a, of but possibility but then that's a different thing isn't it i mean you're isn't right it? and i'm sure there are, there are circumstances like that but that i think is a different thing entirely maybe but would it be that's any identity. less legitimate it be any less legitimate if a woman felt compelled just by curiosity to become a man versus compelled by her feeling i think that's identity flirtation as opposed to gender flirtation or gender choice or Mm. gender manifestation i'm using the wrong words here Mm. i think people could do whatever the fuck they want so do i i'm into that i met that lizard dude once in austin texas do you know that guy is he's turned himself into a lizard He's essentially tattooed his entire body. No, I know who body. you're talking about. He split his tongue yep. down the middle. He sat in the front row of my show at the Cap City Comedy Club. And I was like, well, you don't need a lot of attention, do you, buddy? Yeah, no Sit kidding. Sit right in the right? fucking front row looking like a lizard. Good Very nice guy, though. Seemed like a super nice guy. But he's, uh, you know, I mean, look at this guy. Well, that that's before he did his whole yeah, face. Yeah, I've seen him before. He's kind that's, of amazing looking, though, yeah. no? Uh, definitely weird. I don't know about amazing. If that was my kid, that is amazing. Upset. Come on, if you saw that in an art gallery, you would be like, "That is amazing." Mm, maybe you and I have a different sense of amazing. 
Maybe we do. Well, that seems like a I guy think... with drawing on his face. <laughs> but hey, this is coming from a guy with drawing all over his arms. I think it's pretty incredible. I mean, who am I to say that it's... I mean, this like, that's a cultural thing, right? Like, why is it okay that I have tattoos all over my arms and I don't think it's right to tattoo your face? I wouldn't say that. Like, you should be able to do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah, and he has done. But it's a cultural thing. I mean, for some people, like I was in Japan and they made me, I was in a gym and they made me go and put a long sleeve shirt on because you can't have exposed tattoos like this. Well, I guess because their feelings towards your arms are the same feelings that you're having towards his, yes, his face, right? Yes, so you were for yes, one second yes. a lizard man. Yes, a little bit, <laughs> a little bit. Just for those of you who are not in the studio right now, who are listening to me. Just, just, just take my word for it that Joe is fucking with me right now. No, I'm not fucking with you. He is. Guys, he is. He is. <laughs> <laughs> We're having fun. This is a fun conversation. When, don't you think when someone's fucking with you, that's like a negative thing, right? No. No? Oh, God, no. 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 I often fuck for fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think we just did a... a we just did a play on words there. Hey, hey, there's life in us yet. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so what's the latest with you? You guys are touring again. Uh, we're going on tour in the summer. Yeah. Um, that's only like a month away. Just or something. a month away. Yeah. It's hot as fuck here now. Oh, it's hot as fucking America. It's back. Stop. Yeah. It's well, you guys are hot. used to rain. I I like it cold. I must admit. Do you? Mm-hmm. But uh, we are going out on tour. We're going, we're going to do something in my mind, pretty sort of historical in a funny way. Like we're going out on a headline tour with uh, Blondie, with Whoa. The legendary Debbie Harry. Wow! Do you know her? I do know her actually. I and I love her, and she's been somewhat of a mentor to me in a way because she was managed by. A, a very famous music manager called Gary Kerfurst who managed the Ramones and Talking Heads and oh, Blondie wow. and so on and so forth. He was the one who basically sort of plucked me from my band. He saw that. He thought I had potential. And he was like, you know, I, I think you have potential to be in the music business. And he signed me in the end and blah, 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 blah. And anyway, wow. I, he introduced me to Debbie and Debbie came and saw my band open for the Ramones in the Academy in New York during the new music seminar one year. And I was shaking like a leaf. I've told this story a million times, but it's one of my favorite memories of stepping out on stage on the Academy. And of course, Ramones fans were pretty hardcore. You know, they weren't taking fools lightly. Yeah. And you had to prove yourself. So I was very, very nervous. And I looked down into the mosh pit and Debbie Harry was there. And I just was like, I will love you forever. Anything you <laughs> ask of me, I am your slave. You are like, for someone of that caliber to do that, it meant so much to me. And it's sort of, even in times of when I've doubted myself, I always think, Debbie didn't doubt me. Wow. So, yeah, that's I'm very deep. excited to be going out with her. Wow, that's heavy. I might tear up. Tear. Come on, tear. A little bit. A little bit. Come on. Get into the, you know, the emotional oh, that's mindset. Acting. <laughs> <laughs> she was uh, a very unique historical figure in music. There was no Debbie Harry before Debbie Harry. Correct. It's like you can look at there some There was no bands. Madonna before Debbie Harry. Right. There was no Lady Gaga. Yeah, you know, the right. Way she did it all really. She's the archetype, I think, for a modern pop girl. And she was very authentic. Yeah. Like there was no questioning her authenticity. Like she was uniquely eccentric. Well, she know? still is. Yeah, I'd imagine. Yeah. I mean, but, to be 70 and to be still making records, that's... Incredible. That's pretty badass. It's really badass and really inspiring for other women, you know, who follow in her footsteps, who, you know, will watch. It's the first time I can think of like a woman has had a pop career that long. 
Well, isn't it a new thing? I mean, if you really stop and think about music, really what we're talking about is recorded music. And recorded Correct. music in modern times has really only been since the late 20th century. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean... When did people, or the early 20th century rather, when did people first start recording music? We've gone over this before. They started doing it on wax in like the 1700s. Is that what it was? Something along those lines? I don't think it was that late. I think it was in the early 1900s. Let's let's find out. Thomas Edison had those wax cylinders that they were recording talking and a little bit of orchestra stuff on to okay. play in those like right those, those did you just pull that out of your brain no we've, we've actually yeah, discussed well, this both. Uh, yeah, both. <laughs> but yeah we've, we just, this is one of your favorite topics no we have discussed it like fairly recently within the last year we were talking about how amazing it is that recording things like like mozart or beethoven like there was no recording no, it's it was just written work and you know people would duplicate that written work and that's how you would get to see the genius of their ideas here 1877 oh my wow Okay. But that's so, a practical sound recording. Yeah. But when you compare that to like a record, a modern record, I mean, we'll call it a record, but I mean, a recording, a modern recording like Blondie, like Rapture or something like that. I mean, that is, there's, there's never been anything like that in human history up until the 19th or the 20th century. I mean, it really didn't exist. No. So when you think about like pop stars, you know, I mean, Etta May or I mean, what, however far you can go back to where you can legitimately say someone was a popular music star. It is so recent. It's yeah. within a hundred years. Well, it's like Elvis, I think, was the first popular star, correct? Right. Yeah. That's why he went fucking crazy. There's no, no roadmap. <laughs> yeah, well, none of them had roadmaps. That's what we forget. Like, if you, th- we were talking about this recently with a bunch of friends, is how accomplished young musicians are right now. Like, mm-hmm. if they, they can be 15 years old and you can watch them perform and they've got all the moves and they can sing perfectly because they've practiced singing along on YouTube to, you know, digitally enhanced recordings. So they can do stuff with their voice that we never could, yeah. you know, and so they're learning at an accelerated rate. Yeah. But they don't understand what it means to have any kind of motivation or like have any authentic taste or, you know, it's really peculiar. They don't have a struggle yet. They're like Terminators. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, they're, they're yes. perfect, but yeah. they don't have any... No inside. They, well, I'm sure they do have an inside, but it's no, not fully developed. At f- so- who's developed soulless. at 15? No one. You can abort Shut them. Shut up. <laughs> who is like... Who, it's just you're <laughs> off the charts right now. <laughs> But it's true. It's really yeah. insane. Like, yeah, it is. They can sing along to these mad records that have been all sort of, you know, auto tuned and yeah. this, that, and the next thing, and they can sing it perfectly. Well, and- I was reading about this 24 year old motivational speaker, and uh, I was like, I want to find that person, tell them to shut the fuck up. How can they what be do you at 24? Yeah. yeah. What do you know? What do you know at 24? You I don't know anything at 50. Tell people about life at 24? That's preposterous. Yeah, it's preposterous. Yeah. It's like my friend Steve Maxwell says, he said, you should never listen to anyone who is under 40, who is a personal trainer. He's a personal trainer. <laughs> He's like, anybody who's under 40 is a personal trainer. Like, what the fuck do they know about injuries? Well, it's true, and, yeah. Doing yeah. the Running the long haul. Yeah, there's a lot to learn. There's, there's a lot. There is. I, I, I am amazed that I continue. I thought I had it all sussed out by 30. I mean, I remember thinking, I'm so old and I'm so wise. <laughs> I mean, I remember thinking that. And then you hit 50 and you're like, oh, my God, I knew nothing. Yeah. And then you probably think that when you're 70. My dad claims that's the case. He laughs at me. My dad laughs at me when I, you know, s- s- say something that he thinks is absolutely ludicrous, you know, and he's like, just you wait. 
Just yeah. you wait. You'll, you'll eat those words, you know. Well, I feel like that's a, a big part of what you see today in social media with young kids espousing really preposterous ideas. Just like there's so they have so little experience, actual life experience. I feel sad nuance. for them. Do you? Yeah. I feel sad for all these like young hipsters that get lauded by, you know, fashion magazines literally at the age of 15. I think it's the fetishizing of young people right now really gives me the creeps. And I, and I feel very sad for these young people who basically get, are like these beautiful butterflies and, a, you know, a glass jar gets oh. shoved on top of them. And then they're stuck there being Ooh. cool and hip. Ooh. But no, with no driver, no, mm. no, nothing to fight against, nothing to be dissatisfied with. I don't know. It's just peculiar. I think. Meanwhile, they're doing Adderall and having a great old time. They're looking <laughs> at you. They're like this crazy Probably. lady. Yeah, so, I'm sure. Oh, so just because you made a bunch of fucking hit records, you think you yeah. can tell me how to live my life? I like I, being in this goddamn glass I jar. Never oh. for one moment would ever tell somebody how to live their life. No, I don't what I don't like seeing is people not being allowed to live their lives. Oh. I saw this kid, somebody sent me this thing on Twitter, some kid, I forget where it was, some pop festival, but he's like 12 years old, playing the guitar, and he's fucking incredible. I mean, incredible. And they were like saying, uh, he's the next Jimi Hendrix, some little black kid. It was amazing. Like, just like, just unbelievably talented. And I'm just like, boy, he's check in with him in 10 years, he'll be fucking crazy. Well, that's what it feels like to me. Yeah. It's creepy. It's like, so many people send me... You know, uh, recordings of young, particularly young women um, artists. And they're like, you know, would you think about, you know, supporting this girl? Or what do you think of this and that? This, live that, your and life, thing. right? I think go out, live your life. Don't let your parents figure out your career for you. you know, that's what you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to have your parents who happens to have an in with a well-known singer or a producer right. or whatever, pump pimping you. You know, that's, that's how you learn is by actually doing it yourself. And I don't know. I just feel it's creepy and feels pedophilic to me and I don't like it. It, can, it definitely can be, right? Yeah. But when you were young, when did you know that you wanted to be a singer? I don't think I ever knew I wanted to be a singer. Today? I wanted to be, Do you know now? Yes, so I know now. It happened somewhere yeah, along the line. But very recently, I mean literally in the last, <laughs> I'm serious, in the last 10 years, I was really? like, I'm really good at this actually and I enjoy it and I guess this is what I do for a living. This is my thing. In ten, the last 10 years? The last 10 years. So I'm what not was joking. going on with you like... When Stupid Girl was coming out. Well, I felt like I'd stumbled into that opportunity, which I did. Um, I wanted to be, first of all, I wanted to be a writer. Then I wanted to be an actress. And then by total default, I was in a, a youth theater when I was young. And I met this guy and he was like, oh, would you come and play keyboards in my band for a weekend? Because we've lost our keyboard player. And I joined the band. And then I just ended up being in that band for 10 years, playing keyboards and doing back of vocals. I was quite happy. I didn't have I didn't harbor any ambition to be a lead singer at all. And then just a billion and one things happened and I ended up being the lead singer of this very same band just so that we could survive because we'd been dropped by our record label for going to Berlin and spending all our money on our record advance on drugs. <laughs> and coming back and not have anything to show for it. So the record company dropped us but kept me. And so then I pulled the band in as my band. So we just sort of shifted all the roles. Oh, wow. So I find myself as the lead singer by default. And then our video What kind got of played. drugs? Oh, it was mostly speed and ecstasy. Speed? Mm-hmm. How much money are you spending on speed? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> it, was, it was an inordinate amount of money that got spent. <laughs> it was our entire record advance. How much was it? I can't remember. I think it was something like a hundred thousand 
pounds. What is that, like $50,000 American, somewhere around there? I think it's double that. Double that? Oh, it's 200000 It's yeah. double? Oh, I'm doing it the opposite? Mm. Oh, my God. How the fuck did you spend $200,000 on speed? I don't know how we did it. I mean, it wasn't all on speed, and it was alcohol and, you know, going out and drink, you know, drinking and partying and just wasting time and... You know, In America, we call that going off. We we went off. You guys went off. We went totally off. <laughs> and I wasn't one of the the really. The, I I was one of the sober ones for the most part. I mean, you know, and I know I did my share, but by comparison, I kept my shit together. But anyway, we we wasted our opportunity there. But by default, I became a lead singer. Our video got played on MTV, and then I just chanced upon garbage. The Garbage Boys needed a singer, and I got hired. And and so I always felt I just fumbled into it by wow. going off. So wow. to speak. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, it was, it was pretty mad. And then I never believed in myself for my whole first half of my, what I call the first phase of garbage. Wow. You know, that's a really common thing. We were just talking about this the other day with somebody, I forget who it was, where they were saying that so many really talented people feel illegitimate. They felt like they're not legitimate or they but felt... But do you think everybody feels legit? I don't think it's even artists. I think it's everybody. I yeah. mean, who, what parent sits there and goes, yeah, I'm a parent. Yeah, I know how to parent my children. And yeah, yeah I know how to pay the bills and get the work done and keep the house... Good. Nobody knows how to do anything, right? No. Well, you, you definitely question yourself all the time. Yeah. Like, how old are your kids? Well, I have, uh, I have three. I have one that's 20. I have one that's almost nine and one that's almost eight. Wow. Yeah, or almost seven, rather. And I was hanging out all day with the almost seven yesterday. And, uh, you know, we were just having a great old time. Like, we we have days we split up where I just hang out with one kid, and my wife will hang out with one kid. That's cool. Because I think sometimes when you get the two of them together, the young ones, they don't get enough attention, especially the little one suffers a little bit. So we have, like, specific days where it's just... And so the entire time... We're trying to have a good time. We're having fun. But I'm also thinking, okay, I've got to like figure – kind of, I'm kind of programming her here as this goes. So every question, I have to kind of temper this question. Well, you have to think that these people probably don't know any better. So that's probably mm. why they litter. You know, and see, like she gets mad when she sees people throw cigarettes out the window. I saw a guy throw a cigarette out the window. Did you see that, Daddy? He oh. threw a cigarette out the window. And I'm like, well – it's definitely not good to throw cigarettes out the window, but you have to think, like, this poor person, like, what kind of a mind do they have? Like, this, this, the way their brain works, they think it's okay. They're not no. worried. Like, if I drop something on the ground, I pick it up. Do you pick it up? She's like, I always pick it up. I go, yeah, we pick things up, right? We don't want to litter, because if everybody littered, we would never be able to get anywhere. It'd just it be garbage be so everywhere. so stressful being a parent. Really it's stressful, hard. but when you're the conscious. reward is, there's, it's really, you don't have kids? I don't. It's very hard to describe to someone the love that you experience between you and this little tiny person. Like me and the six, almost seven, when, when we talk, like, and she just jumps on me and hugs me, like my whole body has this reaction, like the love meter. It's like, you know, a carnival thing where you hit the thing on the bottom and the bell goes ding, yep. you know, like the, the, the metal shoots thing up and shoots the up and hits the bell. It hits the bell every time. Wow. Whenever she gives me this big hug, it's like, I can't, you can't love anybody anymore. Of course like, not. The yeah. love that I have for her is, it's crazy. It's weird. It's scary because you're worried about losing them. It's scary because you're worried about fucking it up. It's scary because, just because it's so powerful. It's really powerful. It changes you. It changes who you are. I mean, it's just, it 100% changed me. It just made me a different, completely different person. And it does every day. Every day I'm a different person than I was like a week ago. And I talk to a lot of other, other my friends that have kids, and it's the same thing. 
Like it changes your level of compa- um, compassion. It changes who you. Like Dave Chappelle said it best to me. He said, "It didn't just change my the, how much I love. It changed my capacity for love." Wow. And yeah, I was like, "That's, that's it. I think you nailed it." I mean, I had a tiny. I have a tiny window into it because my sister, my younger sister, had two children, and I felt towards her children differently than I do any other child. Oh yeah. So that's just a small window into how I imagine it is for her with her children, and we talk about this a lot. I'm like, I just don't think I could handle that. It would be too. I'm too sensitive. I'm too hypersensitive to, I think, take the responsibility on of being a parent. You think though, but you would. It changes you. Like you become oh, whoever you are now. Once if a little person comes out of your body, you just you're like, okay, now I'm Shirley with a person. There's like. Chapter two, you know, or well, Shirley two point yeah, or whatever it is. Yeah, I'm sure it changes how you view yourself and your function on Earth. I would imagine it does. It does, and it also makes you appreciate. Like uh, my my time is fairly, um, I, it's flexible in terms of like I can manipulate my time. I can kind of choose what I do. Like I don't really have to do anything. I choose to do a lot of different things. But people that do have to do things, like especially couples where both work and they work long hours, that's incredibly hard yeah, to raise really children. Hard. I mean, you see how tired they are, too, when they come home from a nine, ten hour day and their kid has been in daycare and the kid just can't wait to see them. And then sure. you, you literally only have an hour with them before they go to bed. Yeah. Like you're not even raising them. No. So well, you- my relationship was like that with my dad. Like when my mom died a few years ago, my dad came over here to Los Angeles to to stay with us and we went out for lunch and I'm sitting across from my dad I'm 45 years old and I'm thinking to myself I have never sat alone with you in a restaurant in my life wow ever it was really weird wow because my dad worked hard you know and he was always busy and yeah it was it was an intense realization so it's, I think it's great that you take time one on one with your kids because I didn't have that with my dad I didn't have that either I tried to well, I mean, I'm sure they're going to learn something that I fuck up that they're not going to do. You just have to accept you're going to fuck up. Yeah. Well, just don't try to fuck up. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> try, try yeah. To, don't try to try fuck to up. Try to do your best. But, try and do your best. Uh, but I just. But sometimes the things that you do in adverted commas get right mm-hmm. are the things that do, I think, the most damage. And sometimes the things that you do wrong, the so-called big mistakes, can also be really good for children. And I'm not talking about when they get at, at no point should a child ever be hurt in any way. And, you know, I'm not saying right. that's a good thing. That That's a terrible thing and that must never happen. But I mean, like, you know, I know a lot of parents who b- sort of really get down on themselves because they divorce, for a random right. example. Mm-hmm. And I have seen children bloom through divorce. Yeah. You know, and I keep saying that some that to my some of my friends who are going through that. It's like, you're not you're not making a big mistake. You're teaching them to not settle. And there's good things that can come from bad things, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, for sure. My <coughs> parents split up when I was five and it was a very good thing. And it, it taught me that my mom was strong for leaving my dad and that, like, you have to make tough choices in sure. life and then things are going to suck for a while, but there's a reason for it. Yeah. But, you know, pressure makes diamonds. It just, yeah. no, it's, it does. I mean... You said it much more articulately than I did. <laughs> I <think laughs> but, we're, but we're getting to the same place, I guess. Yeah. Well, it's a really, it's an uncomfortable moment that I have with a lot of my friends that have children, too, because we sit around and we think about it. We say, well, you know what? You try to protect your kids as much as possible. But everybody that we know that's interesting came from a fucked up background. Like, all of my friends had fucked up childhoods. Yeah. All of them. All my artistic friends, all my friends that are musicians, all my friends that are comedians, they just fucking came from chaos and they emerged from this rubble as this like this person with a purpose absolutely 
But see, I've 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 gone quiet, and I've gone quiet because it's getting back to the 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 moment that I have in, or the feeling I have in myself that I am an inauthentic artist because I didn't come from a fucked up background. You didn't. And all my friends, every single one of my friends, when I was growing up, from the age of five onwards. They came from broken homes. Every single one. Maybe you learned from them. Except, <laughs> I don't know. But I came from a really happy family. My mum wore a penny. She baked every day. What's we, a penny? A penny, you know, an apron. Oh, Kind of okay. like what I'm wearing right now, oh. funnily enough. But, um, yeah, she wore a, a, an apron. She baked every single day. She, like, warmed our clothes on the stove before we went to school. Wow. I mean, she cooked us dinners every single night. They were always at home. They were always there. They loved us. They were never cruel. I mean, I came from the most abnormal, normal family ever. And it's always made me think, well, I, that means that I'm not, I'm just not, not an legit. artist. I'm not yeah. legit. So crazy. <sighs> <laughs> Yeah, I got fucked up anyway. Yeah, but it's not—it's not mandatory. Like it's—it it, <laughs> it certainly happens a lot of the time, but it, it, it can't be mandatory all the time. But I just don't. Uh, yeah, I like—I I always sort of feel, and this is really sick. of mild envy when I hear my <laughs> friends talk about you know their fucked up upbringings because I'm like, God, I'm so normal. I used to feel that way about people who are drug addicts. What do you mean? I used to feel that way because all the greats as were drug comedians addicts. were drug addicts. <laughs> Richard Pryor, Kinnison, Bill Hicks, they were all drug addicts. Yeah. They were all had like huge cocaine problems and they, you know, Hicks was the only one that got through it, but then he wound up dying of cancer. You know, who knows, maybe because of that. But, you know, Kinnison was a cocaine I don't know who Kinnison is. Who's he? You don't know Sam Kinnison? No, I've never wow. even heard of him. Really? Mm-mm. Wow. He's Mount Rushmore for sure. He might be the greatest. Well, he, I think Richard Pryor is the greatest, I but love he's Pryor. he's right up there. Kinnison's like number two in my book. How I think, have I not heard of this person? I don't know. I don't know how you, he's well, a, was a fat Rob, guy. Did wore I a beret. Crawl out from under? You never, you no, never I don't seen even him? recognize him. Oh my god! This is like pull up Sam Kinnison's uh, homosexual necrophiliacs. He did this bit. <laughs> this is. Uh, this bit was this is a bit that got explained to me by a girl that I used to work with. This is a bit I found out about this. Pause for a second. I worked at a. Um, this is one of the reasons why I got into stand up comedy. I worked at an athletic club in South Boston. It's called the Boston Athletic Club, and I worked with this girl. She was hilarious. She was a volleyball player, big giant girl. She was like five eleven, big athletic, big personality. Okay, easy, easy. She's hilarious. But what I'm saying is, she told me about, you've got to see this comedian. Holy shit, was he funny. She saw him on HBO. And so she starts doing this bit. The she's skit. like, she takes me out to the parking lot and she's doing this bit about there's a real news story about these homosexual necrophiliacs who would pay these morgues to spend a few hours undisturbed with the freshest male corpses. Ooh. So play the bit. Play the Dude. bit. We'll play the bit here. I read the paper, they said. That a group of homosexual necrophiliacs have been going around to mortuaries offering them money to let them come in at night and spend a couple hours undisturbed with the freshest male corpse. Hey, I wasn't trying to sell this as a fucking home game, all right? <laughs> it's a story I read, folks. Jesus Christ, give me a chance to do some journalistic reporting here, will ya? I felt the same way. I read this thing and went, oh, 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 thanks for the visual. 
these corpses, man. I mean, you'd think death would be bad enough, wouldn't you? I mean, the one thing that scares the shit out of everybody is death. You don't want to think about it. You don't joke about it. You put it out of your mind. But you figure if you faced it, that's it. What could be worse than fucking death? You figure, I got past death. I mean, you hated it, but at least you lived through it. You know, you got by it and all that shit. I felt sorry for these corpses because I know these guys were laying out on slabs. They're in there going, well, well life was tough and uh, yeah, it was pretty hard to live up to. And uh, I have I faced death and I'm glad I went through it. And uh, well, I'm just, I'm, now I'm ready to spend eternity in heaven and be with Jesus and rock of ages. Hey. Oh, shit. oh, I don't believe this! Oh my god. There's a guy's dick in my ass! Oh, you mean like he keeps fucking you in the ass even after you're dead? Oh, never ends, it never ends! Oh! oh. So. This girl, She's she was like, lo- she laid down in the parking lot, and she was going, "You mean life keeps fucking in the ass even after you're dead?" And I'm crying, laughing. I was crying, la- and I and I was like, oh, "I gotta see this! I gotta see this!" And so I, I think I got it from a video store. I think it was back when you would rent it from a VHS, you know, cassette. And that's how I found out about Sam Kinison, and that's one of the reasons why I got into stand-up comedy, because wow. I didn't know that comedy was ever like that. I thought comedy was a guy who just stood in front of the microphone and said, did you ever notice? Like, that kind of stuff. So what is, what does, what, what is being a comedian to you mean now? Oh, it's a, a bunch of different possibilities, but it was so chaotic. Like, his, his comedy was so wild and crazy. Like, there was, he was a real groundbreaker in that way. And why else did you get into being a comedian? I don't know. I got talked into doing home? it. No, I wasn't really very funny. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't. Did, funny. did you have siblings? Yeah, I have a sister. How many? One, One sister. sister. Yeah. And it was, so it was just you and your mom and your sister. Yeah. Well, my mom remarried. I right. stepped out. Who she's still with today? And do you like him? Yeah, he's a great guy. Okay. Yeah, super lucky. He's a real good guy. Okay, good. But um, it was uh, I got talked into doing stand up by my friends from martial arts. <laughs> For real, because we would. Well, you must have been funny. Well, I was only funny because it was like gallows humor. We would go to compete, like like, or we would be about to spar, and I would be the guy who would make everybody laugh because everybody was so nervous because it was scary. You beat the shit out of each other, you know. And then we would go to these competitions, so we'd get on a bus and travel across the country to go fight in these tournaments. And it was super nerve-wracking. Everyone was super nervous. So you could, like, cut the tension with a knife. So I would always, like, be doing impressions of people, having sex, and making jokes. And I just this was, like, long before I ever thought about being a comedian. I was just trying to lighten up the mood. Wow. And that's how I got into stand-up. So hold on a minute. So, see, this is a bit of a surprise to me because when people fight, you know, semi-professionally or otherwise, or at school or what have you, it's nerve-wracking. No, it's terrifying. Because you're scared of... Pain, pain, violence, the the anticipation of the possibility of losing. You're worried about uh, the just all the possibilities. The, this, the Just the full realm of things that can happen. So why do you do it? I know I'm sounding like a moron. I just have never had the opportunity to ask anyone who's ever done this. Um, I was very insecure. And um, I got bullied... And I wasn't big. I was a, a small kid. And I was really nervous. 
And I did not like that feeling at all. And I, did, I was always, we were always moving around a lot. We always moved to new places. I was always the new were kid. Were you a military kid? Or? No, my, my, my mom married my stepdad. We moved across the country from New Jersey to San Francisco. And then we lived there for a while. And then we moved to Florida. And then we moved to Boston. And he, he switched careers. And he was a computer programmer. And then he became an oh. architect. And so there was a Good lot Lord. of... Yeah. <coughs> there was a lot of traveling. And I just was always the, the new kid. And the new kid gets Horrible, fucked with. yeah. And most of the time it was fine, but as we got started getting older, that's when it got creepy. Like mo- most of the time it was no big deal. Like at nine and ten, it's no big deal. But when it gets to be like thirteen and fourteen, then it starts getting violent. And so like kids Scary, would pick yeah. on me, and I didn't know how to fight, and it, it drove me crazy. Like I was like, God, I fucking I, I hate the fact that when these kids want to fight me, I don't know what to do, and I'm I'm terrified. So I'd be like. Go, go home the long way around so I'd avoid everybody and that kind of shit. Yeah. So I decided to learn martial arts. I said, well, what am I afraid of? I'm afraid of people that know how to fight. Well, I'll, I'm going to really know how to fight. Wow. So I went into it. Then it became my whole life. Like from, from, from high school, age? freshman year on. Really from um, 15 is when I went crazy. So from 15 on, uh, that's all I did every day. Like wow. six, seven days a week. I was teaching. I, was, I, I became a... I was in, I was teaching when I was seventeen. I was uh, that's what I was doing like every day. I, I was teaching at Boston University when I was eighteen or nineteen, and I was that's became my whole life. Were you born in Boston? No, I was born in New Jersey. Right? How come you don't have the crazy accent? Got rid of it. Heard myself on TV. <laughs> I won the Bay State Games. It was this big uh, like an Olympic festival. Uh, where they had all the Olympic sports. and was, Taekwondo had not been in the Olympics yet, but it was about to be, so they had it in the Bay State Games, and I won. So they interviewed me on TV, and I remember ta- I was like very specifically say we were working really hard, and I was like, Whoa. I oh, I the love accent. that accent. It was so bad. bad. I heard the video, and I was like, oh, my God, what the fuck is wrong with me? Like I'd, oh. I had taken on that accent out of insecurity because I only lived there since I was 13. Right. So from 13 to 19, in six years, I developed a stupid accent. You just wanted to fit in. I wanted to fit in. Yeah. yeah. And then I realized how dumb it was, so I abandoned it. But it'll come out a little bit if I get drunk. Yeah. Like every now and then. Some, I like some it. I think words. it's cool sounding to me. Because <laughs> yeah. you didn't grow up in it. Yeah, of course. It's gross when you hear it out of girls. <laughs> Fuck me harder. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, it's like too many R, the, the R thing. <laughs> It it's wild, out. yeah. I wonder where it comes from. Like, the mix of the Irish, I suppose. Although the Irish don't speak like that. Either. No, Irish is beautiful. Yeah. I like that accent's pretty. There's something about the Boston accent is just particularly gross. So hold on. So sorry yeah. to ask you these questions. Please go. But so, don't worry about it. So you are you are fighting, and then your your pal talked you into becoming my a friend Steve comic. Graham. Two of my friends, Ed Shorter and Steve Graham. Steve Graham's still one of my best friends today. He was an ophthalmologist at the time. <laughs> yeah. And so encourage you to what? Go to you told like, me I should be a comedian. improv class or? Like literally grabbed me by my shoulders and said you should be a comedian. So then what happened? I went to an open mic night. I watched uh, amateurs try it. And one of the good things about amateurs is uh, if you go to watch, like most of them don't know what they're doing. They're terrible. So I was like, okay, well, I can't be as, I, you know, at least I'm not going to be the only one who sucks. So like if, if I go up and do that, I can do what they're doing. They suck. I suck too, but they suck. So it's not like you're going up and Richard Pryor's on. Sure, and, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Richard Jenny. And you all felt these. you could take the competition. Well, no, I felt like I wouldn't be the only one who sucked. 
like people who really suck inspire you to do it because they they lower the bar of expectation. Because <laughs> like if I went up there and it was all these really amazing comedians You'd and then me, I'd be like, oh, I can't do this. I, I'm fucking terrible at it because the learning curve of stand up comedy is so long. Sure. And especially when you're 21, you don't know shit. I didn't know anything about life or anything. Well, of course you didn't. Exactly. Yeah. So I was terrible. But somehow or another, these guys talked me into doing it. So. And do you still do your stand-up? Yeah, constantly. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you turned it around on me, Shirley. Yeah, I sure did. Yeah, you did. <laughs> mm, interesting. <laughs> Clever girl. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Don't know about that. I wish. You don't, you don't think you're clever? I don't think I'm particularly clever. Hmm. I can think fast on my feet. That makes you clever. But I have a serious attention deficit disorder. Yeah, see, I hear that a lot from people. I usually think that what that means is you really enjoy certain things so much that other things suck for you and you just get distracted. Yeah, I, you bet be you right. I bet you don't have an attention deficit disorder when you're singing your songs. No, of course not. Ah. But that, again, is, is not uh, material you have to retrieve. It's just sort of in there. You open your mouth and it comes out. Right. But do you think that it's possible that you achieve these high frequencies of delight and of <laughs> stimulation <laughs> when you're performing? And when you're, I mean, you got to think that when you're on stage, like what's the biggest crowd you've ever performed for? This sounds like I'm making it up I don't, because I don't even so. I can hardly believe it. But we played in front of 300,000 people in Samara, Russia. And that was the trippiest experience of my life. Oh, my God. <laughs> At the time, it was the biggest fe music festival that I'd ever been. Like, you couldn't see the end of the crowd. Now I look at Glastonbury and go, meh, small. <laughs> <laughs> you know how it goes. Yeah. So think of that. Think of that experience. How many people are ever going to feel that? How many ever people, people no, are ever no. going to rock out in front of 300,000 people? So I think that some people, the, the moments of brilliance, the, these moments of spectacular experience that they have are so different than most people's lives. Most I totally disagree. 100% hmm. disagree. So? Because I know that people's capacity for joy, that it's a certain experience that we all have. Like I can go out to dinner and if you're having a really great meal and you're with people that you love and are really and you are laughing yourself sick, mm -hmm. I have the same feelings as I do when I'm having a good show. Mm. I don't think it like it's not like my career is the highlight of my life. It's a it's a joyous part of my life that plays a role in in my enjoyment of being on earth. That sounds very balanced. <coughs> but I'm I'm not saying but that that's that true. So I think I believe you. my point being is that I just think if you enjoy your job, if you love your wife, if you have great sex with your boyfriend or your girlfriend, if you have a baby, you know that moment when they put the baby in your arms, you know exactly what it's like to play in front of 300,000 people. Hmm. You know? I don't think that's correct. I think that is correct. You're the only one to be able to tell us though. I'm telling you. I you must take you. it from an authority I guess on the you're subject. Authority. <laughs> There's no How denying. How dare you argue with me, Joe Rogan? I cannot. What I was going to say, though, is that your experience and the intensity is so high that your capacity to appreciate boring shit is probably very low. And that's one of the reasons why people would lay, label it like attention deficit. You probably just don't want to pay attention mm. to shit that you're not oh, passionate about. I wish about. that was the case. But there is moments when somebody's telling me something. 
And I'm thinking to myself, okay, remember this because this is important and or this is really cool. You could use this. I do that all the time. All the time I'm going to hold this information, hold this fact, hold this. And then I try and tell somebody 24 hours later about this incredible story I was told. And I can't remember (laughs) anything about it. (laughs) That's called being a person. Drives me insane. Yeah, but you haven't slipped away at all during this conversation. No, I'm intense. Yeah, you've been locked on. I'm intense and I am awake. You are. A, you're woke. And I'm... I'm oh, fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> if, I hear, if I hear that fucking expression one more time, I might hit the next person of whose mouth it comes out of. That is an expression that never had its day. Oh, it was yes, a joke. it had its day. No, it was yes. a joke from the moment it no, first came out. Trust me, it had its day. With who? Fools? Also... <laughs> Yes. Yes, only <laughs> fools. No, no, like person that I know, like ever said that word without oh, being in jest. Oh, you must be joking. No, I, well, I hang out with a lot People of comedians. Use it a lot. Yeah, you, you, you. Well, they're fast and quick and funny. But also, they think it's ridiculous. Well, like, it's also woke. your job as a comedian to take the piss out of all us norm- yes. norms. That is one thing that I love that you guys say: take the piss. Yeah, I like that. That, that is a great expression. Now, Scotland has some incredible. Like yes, incredible expressions and and sort of the most one of the best things that happened to me lately was I got retweeted by William Gibson, really, who, I, who I'm a big fan of, and he retweeted a a, a Scottish a, a link that I'd done on or I'd done for the NME on Scottish swearing, and the fact that he had reposted my tutorial on Scottish swearing made my <laughs> fucking life. Call me sad if you want, but it was like the most glorious moment of my career. Or That's one not of them. sad at all. There's nothing sad about that. I was so that. chuffed. But yeah, the Scots are really funny. You know, it's a small culture because it's bad weather. I mean, these are st- stupefying uh, sort of cliches I'm, I'm spewing here. But because it's a small country, because it's bad weather, because we spend a lot of time talking to one another, passing one another in the street, there's mm. a lot of humour yeah. that in America I find is not quite as acute you know, people are used to verbally sparring in Scotland because right. you're, you're against people all the time, pushing past them in shops, you know, traveling in the tube, being on the bus, blah, 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 blah. Whereas in America, everything's more spread out and you're not around people so much. So when you are in face to face with them, people are a little more polite. In Scotland, there is absolutely no politeness. Well, you guys part. have that big comedy festival there every year. That's what right, the, the French. Edinburgh. Yeah. yeah. Have you been there yet? No, haven't well, been. Well, get your arse over there. I need to. Ari Shafir raves about it, but that motherfucker goes everywhere. He's crazy. You should go there. It's incredible. It's an incredible circuit for funny men like yourself. Mm, you guys have Billy Connolly. He's hilarious. He Billy came Connolly there. is great and hilarious. Hilarious, yeah. He's well, not well, though. No, he's not. No, he's he's not, not doing that. He's got that? a really sad degenerative disease, sadly. Oh, no. Like, what <clears> is yeah, it? we're going to lose him soon, I think. I fear. Oh, no. Uh, really? Yeah. What is it? I think it's. Parkinson's oh. or or dementia. I can't remember. It was one one of the t- t- two. Mm. Anyway, he's a brilliant mind, very funny man. That sucks. But uh, you should get your arse over there. They would love you. That bad weather thing. I think that's why Boston has so many funny comedians. I'm sure it does. Same I shit. Mean, I'm serious. I'm not. I mean, it is a ridiculous cliche, but I'm yeah. sure it plays a small part in. Oh, it's not. It's not cliche at culture, all. Culture, yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, in Boston, the same thing. A lot of bad weather. A lot of cold, snow. People indoors. People. Yeah, just, long winters. Yeah. I guess that's true. Oh yeah. No Northern tolerance Hemis- for stupid shit. Yeah. No tolerance for also work ethic, like hard work ethic there. Very hard. Yeah. Yeah, no tolerance for meandering bullshit. No, it's very different. It's, it's a different way of thinking, certainly, than Los Angeles, mm-hmm. in my experience. Too anyway. soft out here. 
people, people are soft. are very polite and, mm. and they are soft for want of a better term it's like I find that sometimes when I make jokes people don't know how to flip it back you know like in right. Scotland everybody's joking all the time and it's really fast sort of dialogue yeah people Here, panic people panic and yeah. they, they, they're scared they're going to offend you and you believe know, me say the wrong thing and yeah, sometimes uh, I have to go on double dates with my wife, <laughs> and sometimes I'll crack a joke, and the whole table will be like, "What?" Yeah, that's, like, that's <gasps> me too. I what do have that. you done? Yeah, and I always go home and in the car. I'll say to my husband, "I'm I'm really sorry if I embarrassed you tonight." <laughs> and he says he's always got this classic. He went, "You didn't embarrass me. You only embarrassed yourself." Ah! Is he serious or joking? Kind of half and half. Oh. I mean, it's definitely we both know when I've said something <laughs> mildly inappropriate. Um, do, you, do you feel like you're like because you're from Scotland that you have like to temper that all the time? I do try and temper it a lot, but sometimes <laughs> I forget, you know. And then there's the crickets over, you know. <laughs> oh my god, I'm my poor husband who's very, very sort of quiet. Like he's very quiet, oh. and he thinks a lot before he speaks. And uh, he, I can just see him in his mind. I mean, he loves me, and he doesn't. It doesn't bother him at all. He 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 doesn't get embarrassed. But he has to. But you can see him girding his loins, you know, like, oh, God, did she just say that? Oh, what was okay. the expression you used? Girding his loins. Girding his loins. Girding. I don't even know what that means. Girting? What is girting? Google it, bitch. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're the first person on this podcast ever said Google it, bitch, to me. Oh, it's hilarious. Girting. How do you spell it? Girding. Gird. Gird. G-I-R-D-I-N-G. Jamie, you never heard that before, have you? This is the first time in my, all my years I've heard girding. Girding your loins. I would imagine be clenching. Yes, yes. you're right. Yeah, I just context. <laughs> Put it together. Gird. Here you go. Encircle. Uh, with a belt or a band. A young, woman, a young man was a <laughs> wants to be girded with Ooh. a belt of knighthood. Oh, okay. Now you have to look up Scottish gird. Mm. Well, it makes sense. Girding. You're talking about constricting. Girding. <laughs> Gird your loins. Gird, Gird, one's, Gird one's, loins. one's loins. Prepare and strengthen oneself <laughs> for what is to come. <laughs> Get ready or gear up. Gear up. Perfect. Gird your loins. Yeah, wow. That's a good one. We are learning on this show. This is a, this is a show of education. Stick around. There's plenty more where that comes from. <laughs> So are you fired up about this tour? Are you excited about this? Of course, yeah. My God, yeah. I love I love playing. I mean, I'm sure there is a certain kind of high you get when you go off on the road and you you can stop worrying about bills, you stop worrying about money, you stop worrying about, you know, the pain in your ankle. You, you know, you just have no worries. You just go on the tour bus and you get bussed from A to B. You get a little email every day that tells you exactly what you're doing, you know, at noon. Do you have a tour up. manager that handles all this stuff? I have a tour stuff? manager, yes. Oh, that's nice. Yes. So yeah. um, I, I love going on tour and it's an honor to be playing with Blondie and uh, the fans are very excited. And How many days do you go great. for? I think it's about seven weeks all in Whoa. all. Which is a small tour for us. That's, that's a like, long time. We normally go out for a year. A year? A year? Yeah. Wow. On and off, you know. I mean, you come home for bits, but... Generally, it's a sort of year-long thing. I mean, it used to be two years, but then the music industry got crushed by music file sharing. Mm, yeah. And so it's a slightly different game now. But isn't the touring business the same? Or how does that work? Well, yes and no. I mean, the problem with the touring business now is that it's the only way a musician can make money. Right. So now the competition to score venues 
in which you can play, or it's getting higher and higher and higher. So I, it's I noticed that as a comedian. Really difficult. It's a huge issue. Like, I have to book stuff like a year in, in advance. In a year in advance, yeah. So yeah. book Edinburgh Festival next year. Uh, maybe. Now. Come maybe. on, you'll love it. Well, you'll learn right. all kinds of phrases okay. that you can employ in your stand-up that nobody's ever used in America. Mm. Lots of original material. Hmm, maybe. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. So, well, you guys, though, you were in the business when the money was being made. Yes, like, we were. And then oh, my God. Yeah. It was like, what is it, around like 2000 when the, yep. the, the floor dropped out? The floor was beginning to drop out, and then 2001 came around in September Napster. 11th. And, well, Napster was, uh, was, yeah, that was the beginning of the end. Yeah. Did you see the writing on the wall? Did you think they were going to be able to I patch to- that hole No, up? I totally saw the writing on the wall. I actually wrote about it. At the time, I ran a blog, a music blog, which was you know, one of the first back then because musicians didn't have blogs. We didn't really use computers up to that point. So I had this blog and I was very vocal about Napster and I, uh, I, was, I could foresee the issues that, you know, that presented themselves. But the, the, the industry itself was so greedy, it refused to adapt you know, and as what a do you result, think could have done, been done? <laughs> I don't know. It's not my place to worry about it, really. But um, they just continued to want to make money via CDs and physical sales. And they refused sort of to make the kind of deals that they really needed to. And Digital deals. Yeah. And yeah. It took a while before people started selling things on iTunes and what have you. But there wasn't really a, a venue for it before that. They would have had to create like... They would have had to create it, but they were all the only mm. ones who had the power and the financial resources to do so, you know. Yeah. So, and, and as a result now, of course, they are the only ones making money. Really, yeah. The companies, the record companies, continue to make vast amounts of money off artists. YouTube makes vast amounts of money off artists and the artist makes nothing. I, I don't think the general public are fully aware of what a crime spree it is. Crime I mean, it's spree. a crime spree. It's a crime spree. But... Who's, who's committing the crimes? Well, they're tiny crimes committed against each artist that, that com- like compiles a vast library of digital content that, through which massive companies, conglomerates, make money from by just sheer mass. But the artist themselves makes, you know, less than a penny a pop. Less than a penny a pop, you know. So, like, if you guys, like, I bought your albums on iTunes. Well, we're a bad example, too, because we are our own record label at this point. You are your own record Yes, label. so we're oh. a bad example. We're one of the lucky ones. Mm. When did you figure this out? <laughs> By a lot of getting fucked up the arse and, <laughs> you know, no lube was used. And, you know, yeah, we, 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 are, we were around long enough that our, some of our masters reverted to us. And so we could make really lucrative deals for ourselves and protect our catalogue. And, you know, it's blah, blah, blah. It's so boring. but It's not boring. It's fascinating But for me. young artists, I, I don't know, I despair. It's like, you know, you're, you're hooked up to a record label. The record label makes money by your records getting played on YouTube, for an example. You don't. Not really. I mean, it's like a 0.0375 percentage of a penny that you might get p- played after about a thousand million plays on YouTube. I mean, it's, it's bizarre. But, you know, it's how it is. What, what is the justification for a record company at this point? It seems like... With, 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 Distribution. Yeah, but like where are they distributing it? To All what? over the world. But to where? To what, and in what, in what manner? 
in a variety of different manners. I mean, they now do 360 degrees, so they take a percentage of absolutely everything a band earns, which was not the case before. Generally speaking, they now sew up your publishing, they sew up your performance rights, they sew up your merch, they sh- any endorsements you get. You See, know, that seems fucked up to me. It is fucked up. Doesn't doesn't seem like it's worth it. Like, what do they what do they bring to well, the table? All they are is just a bunch of people stealing money. Except if you're a massive pop star, like you're a Beyonce or a Gaga or Kate Perry or Bieber or what have you, then that company can use its resources to make you even bigger. And that's why these these pop stars who continue to make commercial sounding music get bigger and bigger and bigger and more and more powerful until they can just buy their way into the consciousness of the of public culture. Hmm, but radio is not much of a thing anymore. No, 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 it's not radio anymore. But it's visibility. You have to have visibility. So, so what is it that's getting people visible these days? Like, like it used to be a song would be a top 40 hit on the radio, and then everybody would hear about it, and you'd want to go out and buy the record. Well, I think most young people get it on the web. Right. Free. But, like, how does... But viral music... Like, if you release a song... And, and you're with your label. It's your own thing. And you put it on YouTube and say someone like me comes along that has a lot of uh, Twitter followers. And I say, this is awesome. And I retweet it. And then a bunch of other people retweet it. That's all it takes today, right? Yes and no. I mean, you have to have a song, though, that's easily digestible, which is why there's right. so few musicians now taking real risks. Because other, if they take a risk, they don't have a shareable song, you know, mm-hmm. that appeals to the masses. Then so you die. But you see what I mean? I mean, I'm not articulating myself very well. That Kendrick Lamar guy, is that guy, is he independent? Is he the guy that's independent? Which guy? Chance the Rapper. Chance the Rapper. Yeah. He's the guy that's independent. And he's enormous, right? Yes. So how the fuck did he do it? Well, there's obviously always an exception to the rule. Right. And he's extraordinary. You know, he's an extraordinary talent. And, and usually when somebody hasn't reached public consciousness yet, there's a lot of hype around them. You know, mm-hmm. f- people want to be in the know. They want to talk about the new artists that everybody right. doesn't know about, so on and so forth. So they enjoy like a massive swell. Right. Um, and hopefully he'll be able to build upon that, but it'll be harder for him the next time around. What I'm getting at is that it's, it is fascinating to me that the record companies have managed to stay even remotely relevant because like... Well, because they made all these deals with all these new... Companies. I know, but that's, that's, New media where gets, companies. that's where it gets really creepy, right? I think it's creepy. It is creepy. It is creepy. Yeah. As someone who's not in the business, it's creepy because I'm, I'm looking at like what they bring to the table and there's not a lot. Well, they, they bring, as I said, distribution. And if you don't, uh, I know this firsthand because it's very difficult for us to get to distribute our music because we don't have a distribution label that can compete. Right. But when you say distribution, like distribute it where? Like, Everywhere, wherever where? they can. But so whether that's ads on the street, whether that's ads on the television, whether it's ads on the radio, whether it's ads on YouTube and so on and so forth. It's just an accumulative con- like awareness of an artist. So they're almost manufacturing like public interest. Kind of, yeah. Hmm. I mean, they, they have to have a semblance of something good. You know, mm-hmm. they can, you can't, I mean, right. you can sell shit as it turns out, but that's, again, the exception to the rule. Right. Generally speaking, they'll have a catchy song. Mm-hmm. And they can, if they push it to enough minds, eyes, they can have a hit. Wow, what a weird transition. They're like vampires. They figured out how to remain indoors. Yeah, it's very strange and, and it's kind of sad, really. As That's why you're seeing fewer and fewer artists that have long careers because, 
like I said, you can generate a lot of excitement when it's your first record. That's sort of the, when it's easiest. Right. When, by the time it comes to your second record, a lot of these artists that we hear about are, are already dead and buried under a billion and one other new artists. Mm. Yeah, do, I'm sure you read that Courtney Love article that she wrote many, many years ago about the music business, about how complicated it is. And this is pre all of this digital stuff. She wrote this way back in the day when she was explaining how these uh, artists get fucked over by music companies about how everything gets written off as an expense. So mm -hmm. by the time they get paid, everybody else has been paid. Everybody else is like the, the record companies made money, the executives have made money, and then the artists get money. Yeah. And all the expenses get written off as expenses that the artists have to pay for. But you have no control over the expending. Right. So for a random example, you can turn up at an airport, you've flown from LA to London, you, you arrive and there's a limousine waiting for you and you don't even question it. You're like, oh, this is the Transpo, the record company I've sent. They take you to this ridiculous hotel, that the posher than you've ever been in your life. You don't think about it because the record company's paying for it. <clears throat> they throw a huge big party Wow, how generous our record company is. So amazing. Well, look at this incredible party. And then they're charging you for it. They're charging you for every <clears throat> single thing, and yet none of it gets run through you for your approval. So right. you have no power over the economic spending, but you get charged back absolutely every single expenditure. Not only that, the salaries of the people that run these yeah. companies, all that is dependent then, upon you selling your art. That's right. And it, when things are going well, everyone's there going, Weren't, didn't we do an amazing job? You know, worship me. You know, literally every one of the record companies really? like you, you, you owe us a thank you, and aren't we amazing? And Is that then, how they talk to you? No, but the, it's an inference. Like, oh, yeah, I did that. We did this. Look at how, what a great job we did for you and your band. And you're like, yeah, great. Thank you so much. That is wonderful. And then the second something goes wrong, is you're on your own. You guys need to figure this out. We're just your record label. We can't. You know, wow. I mean, it's just like it's 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 difficult to deal with at first, but then you get used to it. Now, in the early days, did they take a piece of your tour? No, no, they they never have with us, but they do now with young bands. It's called a three sixty deal, where they take a piece how much of do everything. they take? I don't know. It's different for every band. Every single band has to negotiate its own stance. You know, what's a normal? I absolutely 50%? no idea. Fifteen twenty percent. Twenty percent. So they would take twenty percent of all your touring. So they would be like, if you had Andrew a five-person band, they'd be like the fifth person in the band. Correct. Boy, the yeah. merch. Mm -hmm. Your fucking t-shirts? Mm -hmm. Holy shit. Yeah, they take everything. It's, wow. it's, pre it's pretty weird and pretty grim right now. It's, but it's weird. It's like, what are they? I don't understand what they're doing. Well, I don't think they do either. I think, I think to be honest, they're still trying to figure out what their role can be in this new world. You know, it's difficult for them. <coughs> Wow. Wah, 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 wah. Life is tough. Well, it's a, it's a fascinating <coughs> time because this digital thing that came along. What's really interesting is that, you know, we saw when the economy fell apart, right? We saw banks getting bailed out and we saw these uh, music companies going under. We, we saw like a lot of issues, Collapse, yeah. a lot of collapses. And it's all because of these emer emerging technologies. Mm -hmm. But these emerging technologies also, on the flip side, make it so much easier for people to find out about you. Yes. And slowly, I think things will, I think it will balance itself out again. Right. I think younger artists are going to get way smarter than we ever were and just go, hold on a minute, we're not signing these rights to They you. have to, because there's no reason for that today. It just doesn't make it, that's what's so confusing to me, like giving away your merch and your touring. 
Like unless they're booking the tour for you, unless they're acting no, as they're a not manager. See, though, how the fuck are they getting a piece? That's what, <laughs> what I'm saying. Don't ask me. I didn't like that's where rules. an agent gets a piece because they book it. They they set it up. They they arrange the publicity. They do all that. Like they they deserve a piece. Like that's a business deal. Like it seems like they're just stealing money. Well, it seems a little bit like that. I would agree. I mean, what's what? Like for in, for instance, in our business, we make ten percent of everything we earn. So that's basically we know that what we can make a, a certain amount of money, and by the time we've paid everybody, we'll take ten percent home for all the band members. Each band member gets ten percent, so forty okay. percent. Okay, forty percent of what we make. And this is not even taxes. You're not even talking about. We're taxes. not talking about tax. By the time the taxes decimate, you know, you were decimated. But we are one of the bands who don't have to pay a percentage of our touring and our merch, and we're one of the bands who get a very high. Um, royalty on our records because we only we only give away a tiny tiny percentage of every record to our distribution company. So we're one of the lucky ones. So we're always thinking, well, if this is how it is for us, oh. how is it for all these other young artists? You and know? there's a big thing about young artists; they have to pretend that they're rich. So yeah. everybody has to drive around a Ferrari. You oh, have to have a crazy. thirty thousand dollar watch on your wrist. You have to yeah. walk around like a baller. But like I really the, reject all that, and I think I advise everybody else to reject it too. I think we're beginning to, to move towards a new world order because the worshipping of money, we can't sustain our lives and our world the way things are right now. Well, it, it comes from people being poor and wanting to aspire to be rich, and then once you make it, you have to sort of put that show on, right? Sure. I mean, yeah. that's, but that's a huge thing in the rap community, right? With rappers, it's almost mandatory. It's very rare that someone bucks the trend where they're not wearing a lot of jewelry and driving around a Bentley. Although I feel that again, that's changing too. Slowly, I hope so. You know, but um, yeah, I've never fallen in love with those kind of acts. You know, whereas yeah. fur coats and, and yeah. limousines and I don't know, it's just not my style. Yeah, no, it's uh, well. I mean, it's it comes from you know economically deprived people that finally break through oh, I, and, of course i understand you know, yeah it's always been but it's it's almost like the fun part of like the rap business like a big part of the fun part i mean how many fucking rap songs are about jewelry and diamonds and cars and mansions and you see when i was growing up as we were talking about being the same age earlier on it was really uncool to talk about money right and all the cultural heroes were were didn't have money and would never talk about money right and and actually, often it was heartbreaking when you've discovered they were rich because right. they were kind of our working men's heroes, you know, our working man heroes. Like, go back to Kurt Cobain. He wore, like, Converse All-Stars and sure. ripped up jeans uh, and flannel shirts. Even further back than that, you know, like um, like John Lennon or somebody Lou like Reed. that. You know, yeah, yeah. all these yeah. cats, you know. But that's what I was sort of indoctrinated in when I was growing up, right. for which I'm actually eternally grateful for. I don't, I, I don't want to be somebody who worships money. Well, it's a foolish thing to worship because, you know, the, the ultimately, like what an artist is doing is they're they're trying to express themselves in the most unique way possible and connect with people, right? You're supposed to you're trying to show the world through your eyes. You're trying to express yourself, and if all you're trying to express is that you want to stack checks, stack what is it? What do they call it? stack on deck? What what's that? Stacks on deck. Stacks on deck. That's like a big thing. The rappers, those kids today, <laughs> talk about stacks. I wouldn't mind the stacks on deck. Stacks actually, on decks, just still. to just to have a little cushion. Yeah, it's always nice to have a cushion, right? But <laughs> I feel like these days are long gone. 
It is crazy, though, that you guys only get 10%, and you really stop and think about it all, and then you pay taxes on the 10%. I don't think people understand that. No, I, I really don't think people understand it. But at the same time, like nobody wants to hear a musician whine. No. You know? But I, no. I know many people who live, who have very modest jobs who are way wealthier than we are at this point, you know. Yeah. But, you know, that's, that's life. I never became an artist because I wanted to be rich. <clears throat> you know? Right. Well, you would be so much happier being who you are than not being able to sing and being wealthy. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I also have met a lot of rich people in my time and they're miserable as hell. <sighs> there certainly can be. Chasing no, that. Yeah, very isolated. And I know I, I could count on my hands the amount of really rich people I know who live happy lives, who seem like they know what to do with their money. And they, mm-hmm. these people definitely are out there. You know, they have all, they have happy marriages, happy kids, balanced kids. You know, they know when to have fun. They know how to work hard, you know, blah, 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 blah. But they're the exception to the rule. Yeah, it's super rare. It's yeah. well, the pursuit is such a strange pursuit because, you know, in uh, oftentimes when you're pursuing wealth, you're pursuing wealth at all costs. I mean, that is the, the ultimate goal is the score sure. that you put on the board. I mean, that's the Gordon Gecko philosophy. Yeah. Greed is good, right? Or greed will protect me. I mean, I understand it, why people feel and, and they're not always wrong either, where money can protect you from a lot of difficulties. That's our president. I mean, our president is essentially the greed is good guy. I mean, he, I mean, that is who he is. I mean, that's what he's done. I mean, he has well, no, pursued he was, wealth he at was, all costs. But he was also born into wealth. A little bit, yeah. And I then, don't think it was a little bit. I think it was yeah. a substantial amount of money he inherited. Well, he was given $2 million to start his business, his first business. Yeah, that's and nice. he talks about it, a small loan, small loan of $2 million. <laughs> small loan of $2 million. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> he certainly has inherited quite a bit of it. No doubt, no doubt about it. But my point is that his philosophy and like what he's always pursued is extravagance, like the the big gold letters on the side of the skyscrapers. That's sure. his thing. Yeah, and, and it's it's a sta- it's in a lot of ways it's a dangerous ideology for a country to uh, aspire to. Well, because everybody can't, uh, uh, yeah, yeah can't, possible. can't attain that. So what are you then saying to people who have that, who will never have that? That's kind of. What leaves me in great dismay, I understand the pursuit of money and economic well-being, but yeah. I feel like, what do we then say to the people that don't have that and never will have that? Right. There it has is, to be something else other than the worshipping of money. Yeah, it's a hollow pursuit. It's, and it's a pursuit that's like, it's not examined closely enough for, for its hollowness, if that's a word. I was having a conversation once with this friend of mine who is uh, he's a pretty radical black guy. He's a pretty radical African-American and just very proud of African-American heritage. And he, uh, he went on this thing about how black people used to be kings. He's like, we were kings. Do you understand that? I go, stop. I go, you can't, everybody can't be a king. Because see, if you have a bunch of kings, like to be a king is to be a dictator. Okay, That means you're dominating people who aren't kings. That's not a proud thing. Like You've got to stop saying that. Like you <laughs> you say it's the wrong thought process, but it's the thought process is his in his eye. He hadn't examined it like his in his ideas. Like at one point in time, 
we were Africans, we were kings, we were the, we were on top, and then you know slavery and all this other stuff. So his like his thought process was kind of convoluted. And by saying we were kings, I was like, you don't want to be a fucking king, sure. man. Like yeah. nobody should be a fucking king. Should be zero kings. And you definitely don't want to see we were kings. Like we can be kings again. Like don't be a king. Yeah, I don't want to be king. I don't want to be a queen. Well, it's a big thing with fighters. Like some fighters call themselves king this or king that. They like it's a part of their name. You know. It's a weird, and it's only African-American guys. I don't know any white guys who call themselves king. Oh, come on. I don't. Oh, please. Fighters, white fighters? Oh, yeah, talking you about. would know about that world yeah, like way more than me. Bobby, king, Green, king Bobby Green, King Mo. I know, I know like five or six. King but Kevin I guess Casey. sometimes when you feel that you're, you're at a disadvantage yes. in a, a society, you know, words are, are powerful and they sure. can, the words we tell ourselves are really powerful and perhaps you can manifest a power that you need sometimes. We all need it sometimes. I know I need it myself. You know, where, you know, you think to yourself, okay, you need to remember what you have done, what you've accomplished, who you are, who your mother is. You know, mm-hmm. I think that there's a lot to be said, I guess, for, sure. for the casual use of certain words. But you're right. I mean, in, it, as, as we continue to use these words, we have to examine their meaning. Yeah, I think I, I definitely think that's the case. I think that it, the the wealth at all costs is a, a foolish pursuit that people look at when they don't have the wealth. I mean, that's when it becomes an attractive thing. Is the idea that you know you just got to get that paper, what or that? when you've got the wealth? I think the, the greediest people are the people who are have got shitloads of money. That's yes. why we see a lot of these these people with money wanting to cut their, have their taxes cut rather than inject some taxes into the community. I mean, I'd much rather live in a more pleasant community than sit in my golden tower by myself with like riots going on in the street. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. I feel like if you make everybody happier, yes. you can still be rich, but you're going to have a nicer garden to walk out into. That's a very good attitude. It's you know? a very good attitude. I think it's a weird game that people play where it becomes just about getting those points up on the board and they become the numbers become meaningless like you don't saying you don't think i have 30 million dollars i can't spend this this is if i live a normal life yeah. i'm good they don't think that no, they, they think don't. i need 50 million i need an island well there's I that question how much is enough babe yeah you know how much is enough and of course the more you accumulate the more your expenses are mm-hmm. and the more you want so it just goes on and on and on and on. There's an amazing Radio Lab podcast that's out now about um, Bernie Madoff. Oh, there's a, sh- a show coming yes. up too, right? Yeah, I'm dying Robert to see De Niro that. Yeah, 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 playing with Michelle Bernie Madoff. Pfeiffer. Yes. She's still hot as fuck. She's so hot. She's got to be 80, 90 years old now. <laughs> right? She is still so beautiful. She's so hot. It's yeah. crazy. Underutilized actress. I'm looking forward to is that. She? But sorry, I interrupted. Carry no, on. no worries. But it's just um, the, we, the interview him. And you get to hear him talk, and the um, the reporter called him in jail. And it's a really fascinating way they had to communicate because they're only allowed to communicate for 15 minutes, and then they have to the phone is disconnected, and then they have to wait 15 minutes before they can reconnect. Whoa. So he's doing these, yeah. That's just the rules of the prison. So they're doing the. I mean, he's in there forever. He's never getting out of that fucking cage. Good. Yeah, but it's fascinating when you hear him. He has zero empathy. I mean, none. It's weird. It's weird hearing him talk about these people that he ripped off and finding these like, oh, they're, they're fine. These people, they, you know, they, they had money. It's like, you know, they're, they're not, it's no big deal. Like, you, you're listening to the way this guy is sort of rationalized, but he is essentially the poster boy for that greed at all costs yeah. because he was just, he was running a Ponzi scheme. He was stealing money from people. Yeah. 
It's funny, I was again talking about this with my husband earlier on today, because we were talking about what is the difference between a Republican and a Democrat? Like, what is essentially the difference? Because I know lots, I have very good friends who are Republicans who I respect enormously and, and, you know, they have taught me a lot and they have changed the way I view the world and so on and so forth. But essentially, I wonder, is it that Democrats are able to utilise their imagination in, and, and a Republican is less imaginative? I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm musing out loud. I have no answers. I'm just curious about what drives someone towards the left and what drives someone towards the right, because it's certainly not that one side is good and one side is bad. One side is really smart and the other side isn't. It's, it's nothing to do with that. So what is it that drives us towards these embattled positions that are that right now in America seem so acute? Mm. You know, there just seems to be no merging of the two sides. And I'd love to know why. I wish I knew more about how that all works. I think people are very easily influenced. I think people are very tribal. And I think people, it's very easy to influence someone to get them to adopt a predetermined pattern of thinking. And if that predetermined pattern of thinking is right wing or left wing, if you're around those people and you seek social status by committing to a certain ideology, you get embedded in it. It becomes a part of your thinking, becomes a part of your life. And then that is the pattern that you bore. You dig deep. You dig deep trenches in terms of your psychology. You dig deep trenches in your mind that are unwavering. And whether they're left-wing or right-wing, it becomes very problematic when you have two teams like that. We were talking about Holland the other day, that Holland has something like 17 different parties, that viable parties. You know, unlike what we have, where we have this one, two, two and then we have a few joke parties, like the Green Party, that no one takes seriously. Libertarians, nobody takes seriously. They never even come close to winning. And when you have one or two, and one of them is conservative, and one of them is liberal, it just automatically people identify with one or the other. And they, whether it's from upbringing or the community that they're attached to or what have you, or life experiences past, positive or negative, they just immediately gravitate towards one or the other. They dig in, and then they, they start talking shit about the left, or they start talking shit about the right. And, you know, you got Salon.com, and you got Fox News, and everybody's lobbing bombs at each other, and it's just fucking weird. But why have we not seen any break? I mean, I get that, generally speaking. Like, I understand, and I totally agree with what you're saying, that, that generally that is what occurs. Mm-hmm. But surely, on both sides of the fence, you have free thinkers. There must be yeah. a few there's on more either now side. Than, I think there's more now than ever before. But this is a very weird time in terms of Trump and Trump winning because the, he's he's sort of engaged the like they, they they've sort of there's a bunch of people that are not necessarily political that are really into being a right winger now. It's almost like online trolls and people that just like to be a part of a team. And they just like to fuck with people who they call snowflakes or liberals. It's weird. It's a weird time. I think we're going to get through it. I think of course it's, we'll get it's through like it. the Goldwater Republican days. It's like I think well, we, we need totally. to have like bad examples that we need to go, well, let's not do that again. Yeah. And then collectively. The arc of history is long. It is. And the, and the age of the world is infinite. So. It is, but America is young as fuck, yeah, and that's part young. of the problem. It's this weird new experiment in self-government that's really only been going on for a few hundred years. Yeah, and it's easy to look at a few hundred years as being a long time, but no, it's really course. not. No, it's not. I, Especially I, you guys in Scotland. You know, you guys have been around forever. We've been around forever. <laughs> Fucking Braveheart days and shit. Yeah, but the the thing about the free press—that's what worries me as a foreigner living in this country and seeing this 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 sort of. St- 
stuff that's being spewed about the pr- free press really is worrisome. It's worrisome when it comes from the president himself. Yeah, that's that's kind of yeah. what I mean. Yeah, There's only been two presidents me. in our history that have actually gone to war with the press. And one of them was Richard Nixon. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is just a r- unprecedented time that someone disrespects the idea of the press and and news. This and is ideas being get, challenged. Like, yes. I get it. Like, nobody likes getting challenged. It doesn't feel very nice when right. somebody goes, no, I disagree with you. It doesn't feel good. But, you know, aren't we all at the point where we're willing to at least listen and start? Like, we should be. Yeah, but it, it's very scary, I think. When well, he's a dictator in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, and then he was challenged the other day in, by CBS. They were asking him about Obama wiretapping. And, the lie uh, that he made up. Yeah, about, yeah. and he wound up. Uh, well, th- see, there's some. You say you could say it was a lie, but there's some validity to it. Where there was some surveillance being going on, but whether or not it was Obama, or whether or not it's standard surveillance that the NSA has been perpetrating for a long time, which I think was the case. I think it's more that than any. I think fucking everybody's getting spied on. I yeah. mean, that, I think that's really what's going on. Sure. So you can say. I'm being spied on. I think you'd be correct. But you say Obama's spying on me. I don't think that's correct. Yeah. So I think he walked out the interview. Yeah, he walked out when they were challenging. He doesn't like being challenged. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't like anybody questioning him and he feels like he could just leave. He doesn't feel like the press is important. He feels like he's got a strong enough base and all these people that will just yell out fake news. I I mean, he's made this this sort of meme when he pointed that CNN guy and said, you are fake news. Yeah. Like what? Is, this is a scary time. Yeah, very disturbing. But I think in some ways that's good. And this is why. I think I think we need, as human beings, need resistance. We need of something to push do. back against. Yeah. And it helps us. It helps us sort of reinvigorate our, our, our collective ideas and re- reinvigorate, knowing now that this is possible. We didn't know that this was possible before. No. We didn't think he was going to win. And if, we did, if he did win, Jesus Christ, we didn't think he was going to win like this. No, and didn't think that he was going to sort of dismantle the EPA and do all these different things he's doing. Take away yeah. the fucking satellites they use for climate. I mean, there's a lot of shit that's going on that's very problematic to science and scientists. And they, they're being really frustrated right now. So now they know. Now they know. And now we know. No, I totally agree. And I think the, the, the U.S. press... Since September 11th, have actually the the standard of journalism has been sliding now for a decade, yes. if not longer, and now all of a sudden journalists are being held to account and they are having to step up their game again, which I think is great for the American people to I think, to, to have to enjoy good journalism. Yeah, I think you're right. Yay! So I we managed to take something yeah. relatively. I think it's sad. You know what I think it is? I think it's the same thing that's kind of happened to the music business. I think journalism experienced this new wave of media and information being distributed by anyone, whether it's uh, Breitbart or anyone who just creates a blog and just starts pumping out their agenda, Huffington Post, Salon.com, whatever it is. They become these aggregates for news that they feel fits with their agenda, the agenda that they Mm -hmm. would like to promote and push. And, you know, whether it's full left-wing like uh, Salon.com or full right-wing like Breitbart, both of them are problematic. And that's where the New York Times has to really step up. And Which I think, I think they're trying to. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah, I think they are. So. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's weird times, but weird times create great art. No, it does. It, it, well, it creates good people, too. Like, yeah. It's good for... I think what you were saying earlier on is really true. Like, when people are tested, that's when you see them at their best. Yeah. You know? So... Pressure creates diamonds. Pressure creates diamonds. Yeah, I'm, t- I'm stealing that from it's you. It's not mine. Who Steal it? it. I don't know. It's an old term, I believe. It's good. 
Yeah, it's good. It's yeah. real. It's legit. <laughs> We're getting profound in here, we aren't do. we? Yeah, we, we girded our loins and shit. <laughs> we sure we did. A lot, a lot of things happen. <laughs> Listen, you got to get out of here. Um, so do you. Yes, I do. So um, where can people find out tour information? And Garbage is your Twitter handle. And does that do you handle all that? Do you do that stuff? For the most part, I do. I try and I, I didn't like the feeling of somebody pretending to be me and putting words into my mouth. So generally Beautiful. speaking, I do take care of the social media. That's awesome. Well, it's a, it's a bit of a pain, but uh, I farm mine out to China now. <laughs> I yeah, might farm you, mine out to I, Scotland. What I do is I say, just you read my tweets and whatever I say like that. Just say that. Use woke. <laughs> say woke a say lot. Say woke and lit. Use swears. That a was lot. lit. Yeah, lit. I don't yeah. use that one. <laughs> Good. I was lit. Thank God. It was lit. Drives yeah, me it up. It was the lit. Yeah. Wall. How about it was fire? I haven't heard that one, oh, but that's so old fire. school. That's Viking terminology. Is it? Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. You said it like you that's own my it. My people. I do that's own people. it. I'm 100 percent Viking. Don't fuck with me, Joe Rogan. 100 percent. 100 percent. I've had mm. a DNA test. Really? That was run by my city of Edinburgh. I'm super impressed. Okay, fine. Thank you. I was, I'm, <laughs> I'm sitting here trying to impress you. Uh, you win. <laughs> there it is. Rage and Rapture Tour. Blondie and Garbage. And oh, all it looks of exciting. This, uh, it looks exciting as fuck. And uh, <laughs> all this is available online. Where? Where can they get all I, the You know, details? I'm ashamed to say, I would imagine it's on, the face, uh, on uh, our website, which is garbage.com. People can find it. People can find it. If you They'll can't find, find it. it, just Google it. Don't show it. up. Just, yeah, can't find if you it. can't find August it, August 11th, you're a that's my birthday. You're going to be in Austin, Texas. Hold on. What did you Holla, say? August 11th, that's my birthday. You're going to be in Austin, Texas. Yeah. I'm I, an August at, uh, baby as well. Oh, shut the fuck up. Oh, shut the fuck up. Oh I am. Oh, my God. Crazy. So, hold on. What sign are you? Are you a Leo? I'm a Leo. You are such a Leo oh, as well. Oh, you're such a Leo. No, I'm not. I'm a Virgo. You fuck are? you. <laughs> <laughs> Shirley Manson, you're awesome. I really, Rogan, really enjoyed awesome. talking Thank you for to having you. Me. Thank you. Thank you for being on. All right, fuckers. We'll be back soon. Bye. I did the without any th- further ado thing. It just comes out of my mouth. Maybe I should just go with that. I resisted it for so long. Thanks, everybody, for tuning into the podcast. Thanks to Caveman Coffee. Go to cavemancoffeeco.com. Use the code word ROGAN and you'll save 10% off. Okay, come on. Cavemancoffeeco.com. Code word ROGAN. Thanks to Mott and Bo for... Uh, keeping me stylish in these very comfortable jeans m-o-t-t-a-n-d-b-o-w dot com enter the code word rogan and you will get 20% off your first purchase that's mottandbow.com enter the promo code rogan and thank you to 1-800-flowers.com right now 1-800-flowers.com is giving you an exclusive 24 for 24 offer 24 multicolored roses for $24. A dollar a rose is an excellent deal, folks. But it ends on Friday. So, for 24 stunning multicolored roses for only $24, go to 1-800-Flowers.com. Click on the radio icon and enter J-R-E. That's 1-800-Flowers.com and enter J-R-E. And again, the offer ends on Friday. And thank you each and every episode to Onnit.com. Go to O-N-N-I-T, use the code word ROGAN, and save 10% off any and all supplements. All right. All right. My guest tomorrow is Justin Brown. And Justin Brown is a gentleman that, um, he's a scientist. 
and uh, he studies coyotes, and he studies coyotes that are living in L.A. Now, many, many, many people are not aware of this, but L.A. has a fucking thriving population of coyotes that live in the city. Like, not just a few of them, but like a fuckload of them. And, and Justin was a part of a team that was researching these coyotes and their behavior patterns. It's very strange. We literally live with wild animals that are predators deeply embedded in our cities. This is going to be fascinating. I'm super excited about it, especially after talking to Dan Flores last month. Um, I scheduled these guys a month apart on purpose so you could digest the Dan Flores podcast before we get into this one. Uh, so that's tomorrow. Then we got Al Madrigal is going to be here. Holla. Powerful Al Madrigal. And then Guy Ritchie. Guy Ritchie's going to be here on Friday. That's it. That's the week. All right. God damn, I'm excited. All right. Till then, I'll see you people. Um, I'll, I don't I'm Just have fun. I'm not going to see you. Maybe I will. All right. If I do, say hi. All right. Bye. Bye.